This podcast is sponsored by Audible. Please visit audiblepodcast.com slash GOT to start your free 30-day trial. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 6, Episode 5, entitled The Door. Uh, has your opinion changed since the instant cast at all? Nope. I think this is another all-time classic. Like, um, Yeah, people will be talking about Hodor, certainly, for sure. a while. <laughs> and it's, uh, it was, I think it's actually a little bit more emotional because the first time I was just caught up in like my genuine fear and dread of anyone making out of that place alive, uh, since people were just dropping like flies. And I think the yeah. second time I watched it and subsequent watches, I, uh, you know, it's just really sad and dark. Like it's a really mm-hmm. fatalistic, bleak outcome for, for one Hodor, for one Willis. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Honor the man with his given name, Willis. Right. Uh, Come on. I had a guy email in just this morning about. Uh, I guess he'd named his dog Hodor. In, his dog uh, in some in in sunnier Game of Thrones times, and now he's like, should I stick with Hodor or go with Willis? I mean, there's <laughs> something else. Like uh, that's uh, serious yeah. questions when you're talking about renaming your dog. That's it's a, it's tough. It's that's a, a cult- That's a cultural impact that you can't really measure when you're talking about renaming dogs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Heartless Jim had no problem with that scene, making sure. it through tearless. Well, it's the obsidian lump you got in your chest there. <laughs> it really is. Uh, it really is. <laughs> uh, let's but see. But it, it was a powerful scene, no I doubt. I do want to point right. out he has blue eyes, like piercing blue eyes, too. Um, mm. Before we get started, what did you think? Did you, did you have any other the thing to add about like the awesomeness no, I, of the episode? I think it was good. Uh, good I'm, to great. It's... It delights me that we're really off the deep end in magic now, and you're still rolling to punches, because... I, I'm on the edge, though, man, especially now that time travel is introduced, too. Sure. It's like, how much how much stuff can we just hand-wave away at this point? I don't know. And, and say, well, it could be magic, well, it could be time travel, well, it could be... like Those two things combined make, make up almost infinite possibilities. Well, what are you going to do when the fabled sword Lightbringer turns out to be an actual no-shit lightsaber? I will cry myself <laughs> to sleep. That's that, when the Obsidian Lump That will... Yoda used the Force to open up a time gate through into the land of Westeros and <laughs> right. teach, teach Bran the ways of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Uh, puts him in a cyborg suit so he can walk again. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. 
Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Uh, I got a couple things I got to cover before we get to the episode proper. Uh, First of all, this is the last week we are selling our dead-eyed Lannister glasses. We've had a, a run on them and people seem to like them. Uh, much to our surprise, we actually had a uh, a band buy a set so they could play. The, they could perform in full Lannister. Well, not full Lan- dead Lannister, but dead eyed Lannister garb. Anyway, yeah, uh, I'm gonna post that into the show notes just if you want to see them in action. Another another shot of them. But this is the last week. We're gonna t- yank them out of the store come the weekend, and they will not be uh, probably featured unless another Lannister kicks it. Which probably a good chance that. Pretty As seasons chance. go on, there'll be more dead Lannisters. But this is it for this yeah. year. Uh, the other, uh, so you can go to baldmove.com/shop and click on the merch section if you want to see uh, Jim wearing them and uh, get your hands on them. They're only ten bucks. Uh, we tried; they're, they're novelty sunglasses. Don't wear them outside; they'll scorch your retinas. Uh, but but they're great for costuming, cosplaying, Halloween costumes, that kind of thing. Freaking out your relatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is, I'm getting a lot of people wanting to know what the hell's going on with their archives. For a lot of boring technical reasons involving high-traffic podcasts and iTunes, we can only keep 25-ish to 30-ish episodes in our iTunes archive, or iTunes starts slow updating us, which means they take two or three days after we post it for them to update, which is suboptimal. If people want to get our podcast as soon as possible, posting Thursday, Friday is not is not great. Um during the off season, we usually open that up so you can get our entire archive. Uh, but during the main season, you can only get those twenty five or so that we put in there. Uh, we try to size it to what'll hold at least a full season. So there's a couple ways you can get the full archives. Number one, uh, uh, well, num- number one is go onto the website and just you know select the Game of Thrones category and use the back and forward buttons to go backwards in time, and you can download them for free. Uh, Stitcher, I know Stitcher has the full archive because they're not affected by the iTunes stuff. Also, all of our um, ad-free feeds, the the stuff that you can get off of our club uh, sign-up at club.baldmove.com, they are full archive because, again, we're not pumping them through iTunes. But unfortunately, it's a technical limitation, um, you know, and as the podcast gets bigger, it just, it just gets more and more of a problem. So that's unfortunately uh, the only free ways you can get to it. So, But again, if you want to wait till the off-season, we'll be cracking this open too so you can get to everything. Um, be make for some catching up yeah. on the off-season. Yeah. Can't yeah. get enough. Sure. Uh, so that's it. That's I it? I just want to head that because I got okay. tons of emails uh, the last two weeks asking about that. Yeah. 
All right. Well, let's get into the recap then. Uh, we start off with Sansa sewing something, which we later find out is a a cloak or some kind of overcoat armor for John and her. I don't know. I don't know what to call it. Stark themed attire. <laughs> right. Uh, she's she's opened her own Etsy shop. Yep. She's gonna she's gonna make a killing with those. Yep. The craftsmanship is amazing. Order by Raven. Uh, and she gets the first order as she's sitting there. She does. It's a letter like comes w- in. Littlefinger's heard, and he wants a cloak for himself. Uh, no, but it is a letter from Littlefinger, and she goes to Molestown to meet him. And while she's there, she threatens to have him killed for either being stupid or her enemy. You know, the whole situation with the Boltons. Yep. And then he escapes with his life narrowly and also plants this idea of going to her great uncle. Yep, you got it. Blackfish. Yep, Brendan the Blackfish. Because it's Stark's actual uncle. Yes. So, you know, generation removed here. That's how it goes. Yeah. Uh, what? Okay. So I have a couple questions about this because at the end he's he's clearly planting information that she later uses, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not sure if she understands. She must. She must understand what a bad idea this is to use information that Littlefinger has given you because she, you know, she doesn't want to tell John that that's where it came from. Well, yes, there's a lot. I mean, so there's a lot going on with Sansa in this episode. There uh, is. And I, I I don't know that I got the right interpretation, but after watching it a couple times and thinking about it, I come to the conclusion that there's a couple things at work here. Number one, Littlefinger drops this information that may or may not be true about Brendan the Blackfish taking mm-hmm. River Run, which is an intriguing offer. And Sansa, in her immaturity, wants that military information to come from something that she like you know to kind of prove her usefulness to John. Absolutely, and I think Littlefinger knows that yes that that's what she's trying to do implies here implies that it's a trap or maybe it's a canary trap and that if if she sends a you know an emissary to treat with the the blackfish even if, if it is real or if it's not real if it's not real it could be a trap but if it is real it could just be uh you know little finger testing to see if sansa ultimately trusts her like yeah, this is what she says sure. yeah. but if she goes and investigates the claim then i know i've still got her right um, but he also puts in this barb about your brother, your half. It's like, you know, right. I already have an army. He goes, your brother's army, your half brother. Right. Not your army. And also, can you trust John? Like and, it's his, his troops to command. And I got a lot of email about this is classic case of Sansa so stupid. Why won't she trust John? But if you think about Sansa's life course and the fact that she's still very young, everyone that has came up to her and said, you can absolutely trust me. Mm-hmm. Um, has completely fucked her over many times, literally. And yeah. she's to a point where I think she is paranoid with good reason to be so. So Littlefinger intentionally put this barb in her mind. And I think she trusts John, but I don't think she can fully trust anyone. So she's got a little bit of a, def- a defense up, which right. is why she's not, um, you know, it explains why she's not giving him the whole truth. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's a couple of different explanations. Number one, I think she really wants to shine. This, this is information she stole from the Boltons that makes her look like more of a badass. Also, right. she doesn't fully trust John. She doesn't want to hear John's shit about Littlefinger or whether she still trusts Littlefinger or how are you so stupid to believe Littlefinger. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, and it, like you said, I, I think it's she. I think it's mostly she wants to prove herself. Like during that scene where they're kind of discussing how they're going to get their troops – she's she's being overridden by the experience of 
by the wisdom of more experienced people, right? Davos yeah. is there saying, look, I know people, and people are fuckers. People aren't loyal for the sake of being loyal, and these people didn't come to your aid when your house was being threatened in the first place. Uh, and he's right. And so she uses this kind of as a way to get back into the conversation. Yes. And, yeah, it's it feels like a huge mistake to me because I don't think Littlefinger is planting that information for no reason. But understandable. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's not like John's not made. I mean, that's the thing. Like these are. I mean, these are. Right. John has gotten killed by his mistakes. These it's, are mistakes that have been set up in someone's psyche for six seasons now. So uh-huh. they feel they feel like they're not annoying. It's more like ah, oh, damn it, ah, you're walking into this, and and you should see, but she right. doesn't. Uh, so that that's kind of like the the underneath what's going on. But I want to talk about some surface level optic uh, level observations. I like Brienne. And Gwendolyn Christie's, like, full lower lip. She, like, juts out her lower lip when she's righteously angry about something. And when she's got Sansa's back, she's got the whole, you know, okay. resting night face going on with her lower lip out. Uh, and I like how Sansa nakedly... They both threaten Littlefinger. Like, you know, Brienne's like, your lady just asked you a question. And then later on, Sansa's like, I could just have Brienne cut you down. And then where would you be right. with your 10,000 nights? Uh, I, I feel... Have, like- so the other thing is... Every once in a while, Littlefinger, and Varys does this sometimes too, and even Tyrion, they go all in mm-hmm. at like a point where they push all their chips in the middle and they could live or die, but this is how they get to the next rung of power. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is one of those gambles that he took. Like this is Littlefinger where he doesn't really have a backup plan if Sansa wants to kill him. This is just sure, something no. he needs to do to set the next stage, the, 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 the climb to the next ladder and in, in the, the, the rung of chaos. I got that backwards, but... Yes. Um, and I don't think I've ever seen him kind of squirm like this before. No, no one, no one has quite challenged him in this way. I, I mean, even when he's dealing with Cersei or someone, I, I don't feel like Cersei he ever took serious, and I don't think he takes Sansa seriously. But... Also, th- she has a real reason to complain. <laughs> yes, she has a valid complaint to lodge against the Littlefinger uh, organization here. Whereas most people are just trying to get their own way, she's yeah. got some self righteous, some righteous anger here. Yes, uh, which which is nice, but I. You know, on some level, it's like, well, you're a kid, and I get, like, a lot of bad stuff has happened to you, and it's happened to you because of this guy, and some for some reason, like, kids getting on their high horse, and, like... Sure. And Littlefinger's such, like, I know he's a weasel, and I know he's slimy and mm-hmm. disgusting and selfish, but I like him, and I've yes. been with him for six seasons now, and Sansa has really only become a character for me in, like, the last season. Sure. So, it, it's, it, like, I'm, I'm balancing, like, Sansa's righteous anger with my, like for for watching Littlefinger and it's like this scene is conflicted for me. Well, let me as let me let me further conflict it cuz this is something we debated last season and maybe even the season before. What is Littlefinger how does he really feel about Sansa? Um That's a I mean question. on one level I think that he's transferred a lot of his infatuation with Cat yep. to Sansa. Um, and maybe that's just a physical thing or what, but at the end of the day, Littlefinger's a man, and I think he wants to make it with uh, Sansa. Who looks an awful How, lot like Catelyn. However, on the other hand, do you believe that Littlefinger was ignorant of Ramsay Bolton's proclivities? Because to me, it's just on the verge of believable that he would not know 
a, a you know one of the minor lords of the north's bastard son that he has this reputation that's something that ramsey or Roos might have actively tried to squash and thus yeah. maybe he never knew but on the other hand he's fucking yes that's i don't buy it yeah, the much larger she, her, hand, her the less point. little finger says that, yes, he definitely knew. And, and in, in that case, how do you resolve that conundrum? The fact that he loves Sansa, mm-hmm. or e- even as an object, he's even selfish. as a piece of... That, that's ultimately what I think it comes down to. He's selfish. He wants power. He loves her, but not as much as power. Yeah. Or he wants loves her like her a prized possession, but that's not as much as he loves power. Yeah. That, that strikes me as a little finger. That seems like there's a lot of room for complexity as far as like how you portray that kind of guy, because it's not like I, I, sure. I that would imply that it's not like offering up Sansa as, to the Ram to Ramsey was like a free action for him. It's not something he took lightly. No, probably not. Um, so a lot of this kind of pain and hurt and terror was 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 genuine, not just a terror of oh my god, this giant six foot five woman might split me in half. Yeah, but also, and I think when he apologizes, he means it. Yeah. Like, he does wish he could take back what happened, but uh-huh. at the same time, it got him further along, like you said, his ladder. So. Does it feel, also, does it feel like that this is all proceeding according to his plan? Like, that's the other thing I kept coming away from. I think this is a from. wrinkle. I think it's a wrinkle. I don't think he expected such a full-blown rebellion from Sansa, but... Really? He thought Sansa was that weak of a character? I think so. I think so. I think he might have underestimated her mm. a little bit. Maybe. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. Right. Uh, uh, let's move on. Well, We've, before we do, okay. uh, did it bother you that once again uh, Peter put on his jetpack and went from the Vale, the mountainous region of, uh, in the, kind of the middle of Westeros to the Wall and like lickety split? Because Molestown is essentially the corner store that the that the Black Brothers go f- uh, from Castle Black to whore and to trade and barter and whatnot. Right. Uh, no. I, whatever. Okay. I don't know how long they've been at Castle Black at this point. Yeah. Who knows? Speaking of rockets, there is there is some one scene that did bother me later on with its with its uh, consistency with its its storytelling, but yeah. we'll get there. Uh, speaking of rockets, uh, just want to mention last week on the podcast we talked about the Rocket City NerdCon, which you oh, yeah. can go. Uh, uh, I'll have their websites and all their social media stuff posted in the show notes. Uh, their their tickets are going on sale tomorrow, and and why that's of use to you is October. Twenty uh, second and twenty third, Jim and I will be making an appearance down there. Uh, we're gonna have some merch. We're gonna be doing meets and greets. We're gonna be moderating panels and doing some of our own presented material. Uh, it's in Huntsville, Alabama. So if you're anywhere in the South, it's a pretty easy drive, and we would be delighted to see you uh, again. Check it out uh, and, and follow them on Twitter and Facebook if you want to keep, keep keep up with it. But I thought it was interesting that uh, tickets are going on sale tomorrow. So cool. Pretty excited about that. Yeah. And awkward transition. Done. Okay. Arya <laughs> gets her ass beat by unarmed Waif. Yes. Uh, she says, Waif versus Arya, round whatever. Fight. <laughs> Every time. It ends the same, Arya. <laughs> Give it up. Uh, Arya's got some moves, but the Waif's got yep. more. Even unarmed, she's got more. Yeah, it's funny. She totally neo. She like uh, neo Agent Smith at the end of the Matrix, where she's not even half painted. Like it. It. It was interesting because when she dropped her stick, I'm like, oh, this could go either way. But it became clear that there's no Ari is not even close to beating her. No, no, she's got a long way to go. Uh, the wave says she uh, you'll never be one of us, Lady Stark. And Jacken coming out of the shadows doesn't disagree. It's like he, she's got a point. Uh, then he tells her the history of the Hall of Faces and Bravos and the people who founded it. 
and sends her on a mission to kill an actress. Do you think this is part of the standard acolyte training? Because it feels like last season she wasn't even close to being trained and giving her little missions and stuff. This season they know she's not trained. They're giving her another mission. Like at what? Like I get it. Like you got to kick them out of the nest. They got to learn to fly. But man, <laughs> like if she can't even beat the little girl that they have wearing burlap and walking around the halls, which, again, she could be anyone. Hell, she could be the first fucking faceless men for all we right, know. Right, Um It seems like it's a little premature. Uh, I don't know. Uh, they sent her on the oysters, clams, and cockles a while ago. Right. She's had her montages since then. I mean, she then. fucked that up. Right. This so. is, the, you know, strike two. Um I, I don't know. It feels right to me. Like, I'm glad they didn't I just, just kind of like, gloss you know, over it. I just feel like, Navy SEAL school, and you wash out, you ring the bell, and you go home. You don't then get sent, okay, we're going to send you to Afghanistan, double or nothing. Go in this right. cave and see how many guys you can kill. <laughs> I mean, like, that's, it's like you either you either train and succeed or you don't. What, what, I, and I'm wondering if this is like a unique thing uh, that they're doing with her because she is such a high-profile convertee. I don't know. Like it's one of those but, high but if they risk, want her to become reward. no one, what does that matter? What does her status matter at all? Well, I think having a legit piece of royalty in Westeros at your... I mean, it's one of those things we could only use that once, but that's a coin that could yield huge benefits for a clan of assassins. Like having her her face? Like, because they can take that from her. That's they what don't I'm need saying. her for her face. I guess that's true. But they wouldn't know, like, all the ins and outs of blending. Of course, I don't know that Arya does either, because she doesn't seem like she paid much yeah. attention. She was running around with her half-helm yeah. with wooden swords when she should have been paying attention to heraldry and all that. But I, I don't right. know. I just, I just wonder if there's something special about Arya in particular. Hmm. Okay. There, there might be. I don't know. Uh, we find out that the Faceless Men founded the city of Bravos. That was a surprise to me. It was a surprise to me as well, but we had we had talked previously about something where the the faceless men might be mixed up in the Iron Bank, and this kind of lends a little bit more credence so to I'm that saying, idea. If, if they founded, if they if if they founded Bravos, that implies a much closer relationship with the bank. Well, I and mean, you can it, imagine the bank would get started anyway. by a guild of thieves that sure that goes around killing people, taking you their know, money. And... The ma- the money won't fit underneath the mattresses, and it's not that comfortable anyway. It's we really mattress. should get a bank. Yeah, yeah. We should start our own bank, and we should start loaning. I mean, it's the perfect scam. Like, we'll loan out to the lords and the high people of the of the land the money they need to pay our services. <laughs> right. Right. And fight wars amongst themselves. And Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, no, it's interesting. I, I, I think that's something to keep an eye on later. Mm-hmm. It's like the greatest trick the devil ever played is when GM started giving loans to buy their own cars. Like, <laughs> oh, God. You're making, money on the, you're making money on both ends of the deal at the time. Yep. Uh, so Arya goes over to the play, and she watches it, and it's about the Lannisters beheading her father, essentially. It's it's essentially season one of the show, yeah. But it's a it's surprisingly elaborate and lengthy and entertaining. Oh, it's awesome, yeah. Like, like this is kind of like what you would see in Shakespeare's day at the at the Globe Theater. Uh-huh. Like, the same kind of tricks, and the, the high and low comedy, and, uh, you know, again, the double Ds with the fart jokes. Big, big fans of the farty, farty humor. It actually worked this time. Yeah, the lowbrow humor here works sure. perfectly for me. I, right. I thought, you know, you're appealing to a bunch of peasants and, and folk not of the, the upper classes of the city. Right. Of course you're going to go lowbrow. Like, right. That's, they're a 
primitive people. And some right? of that stuff even works. Like that a lot of that, like you, you can't, I can, you daren't, I dare. Like a lot of that is like almost Max Brookian. Right. So right. it's still, some of that humor still lands mo- in, into a modern audience. Yeah. I uh, think you mean Mel Brooks, but. The, who did I say? Max. Fuck. It's his son. Did I really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's the zombie uh, fixated one. <laughs> right. Uh, so she's not happy about it. Arya not liking this play toward the end. Well, the other awesome thing is that Arya played the part of herself in the past. I saw this. Yeah, on on Reddit. But that's that's a really cool realization that she is in this crowd that's like going along with it and cheering for it, and yet again she's the one person that's like, "What the fuck?" Right. Uh, and also doing a very poor job of being no one. Uh, yes. I mean, the look on her face alone says she's someone. Uh, a lot of people wanted us to talk about. If there is any significance, or at least note how differently the Bravosi see Western Westerosi politics, like because we see that oh, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of details here that are blended, obscured, or flat out wrong. Yeah, like Ned absolutely. as an idiot, I'll buy that because mm-hmm. it didn't go down exactly that way. But essentially, the reason Ned died because he was dumb. Sure. Uh, but like Tyrion paying off, like the fact that Joffrey was largely innocent and incompetent, yep. and it was Tyrion manipulating all these things behind the scenes, and the way they portray his relationship with Sansa, like, sure, all of that completely inaccurate. Is that is that interesting, or is that just you know the fact that like? Well, I wonder if it reflects the tale that the Lannisters have told that uh-huh. that Cersei has has leaked out, has gotten. Right. Out beyond Westeros and beyond King's Landing, right? Hmm. There's some mythos here that the people in Essos have glommed onto that came from somewhere, and you can imagine it coming from maybe the Lannisters themselves. Yeah. I don't know. That's what I'm going with. Hmm. And it could be just like, you know, um, I'm sure in Russia it's not all dash cams of people getting ran over and shot and wrestling (laughs) bears, but you wouldn't know it from watching Reddit. So it's like, I wonder if that's just, you know, the way that you just don't know. It's a very provincial way to view another culture. It's like, oh, they hear these stories and they just kind of make up their own shit and it's whatever's yeah. funny and it, what, whatever feeds into their own prejudices. Uh, so, yeah. For sure. Uh, and it could be, you know, uh, plays are certainly a product of the people writing them. So uh-huh. it could be just a reflection of what they think of the situation. Indeed. Uh, we go over to Bran, who's warging with old tree guy. Uh, he's showing him Leaf creating the first White Walker. Wait a second. We, Wait a second. we skipped over the back. Right. She goes backstage. She sees the lady drinking the rum, goes back to Jacken with a plan to poison the rum, so, and so, asks a few too many questions. Yeah, I don't care about the warts on the cock and all that stuff. Um, sure. I also mentioned that it looked like everyone drank from them, but they made a point that she drinks the rum, the dwarf drank yeah. the wine. Um what do you think about this back and forth? Like, what is going through Arya's mind? Is Arya having second thoughts about killing this woman because she likes her? Is she is is Jacken looking to see if she informs him about her true feelings about what she saw in the play and how she might have a personal connection? Like, what are the possible pitfalls and minefields that Arya is walking through here, or what are some things that Jacken should be picking up on that he's not? I think Jacken picks up on pretty much everything like he doesn't send her to a play that surely he knows the subject matter of i can't imagine he sends her there without some foreknowledge of what's going to go down um so that's a test like jackin doesn't bring it up later on like oh what'd you think of your father being beheaded again right right in front of you uh but certainly that's a test for Arya. 
Yeah, and some people um, wrote in and said that uh, they disputed the fact that this young actress had taken out the hit on the more successful older actress, and they were drawing connections to Cersei talking about um, Kyburn's birds and sending them near and far, and if there's anyone mocking our pain or whatever to let me know about it, is it possible that the crown has taken out a hit on this play because of the way they're portraying the Lannisters? Uh, that's a deep maybe, cut. but but the Lannister the Lannisters aren't really portrayed that horribly. That's right? true. It's they're just they're, Tyrion, and they hate Tyrion anyway. They're so. in a much better light. Like if anything, yeah. um, uh, Joffrey seems slightly effeminate, and he's got the warty cock. Cersei seems entirely too innocent and blameless. But I'm not sure that they. That's that's a very good point. I don't think they would argue with that, and I, it's part of why I say could this be Lannister spin making its way out into the world, right? On the story, I don't so, know. Okay. All right. Well, I just wanted to address that. Okay. Uh, as far as Arya, like I, why is she asking these questions? Like you, you brought up the the idea that maybe she feels bad about killing this lady because she's got is a head on her it? shoulder. I... No, I think she's got a head on her shoulder. She just wants. Um, it's it's it is a question about whether an assassin is better served by having more information about his prey or less. And I think she's kind of seeing what the limits are like, you know, uh, the more information I have on these people, the better I'm going to be able to do my job. And Jack and saying, right. well, yeah, but there's a point where you get too much information and you start feeling sympathy and empathy. And then that kind of fucks up the whole faceless killer thing. I'm not sure if there's more to that, but, you know, I, I don't think that the, the average like Jack is not an idiot. Um, like, I don't believe that he doesn't ask these questions and ponder these things himself. Right. So I think that. And they don't want, like, just completely... It's weird, because the Faceless Men do want unquestioning obedience, but they don't... Well, they want questioning obedience, I guess is how I would put it. They want people to ask questions, but at the end of the day, toe the party line. They don't want people that are just incurious and stupid and incapable of making connections because of what use to they, mm-hmm. are they to them. Sure. If they can't adapt and be flexible and be smart. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so, you know, Arya could be great at this, but she has to get over being someone. Uh, then we go to Bran, who's warging with Old Tree Guy, and Old Tree Guy's showing him Leaf creating the first White Walker, and then Bran snaps out of his, his warg state and questions why she did that, and she says they were being wiped out, and they needed to defend themselves from you, from men, is what she says. Mm-hmm. Uh, first thing you notice here, exact same tree girl. Exact same sure. person, Leaf. Plotting she could be thousands of years old. Right. Uh, and probably has to be, given what we know of how long winter, the this this type of winter has been around. Yeah? Yep. So, uh, pretty interesting. I, if I'm Bran, I'm, I'm like, look, man, I'm inside a tree and you're showing me more trees. What's going on here? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've had enough trees for one lifetime. Uh, I don't know. I don't think you're that big of an idiot, but I, I, I mean, this is kind of a mind blowing thing. The fact that uh, the 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 children of the forest created it. It seems like by shoving a piece of obsidian into their heart. So it's like one of those things where it's kind of Supermanian, right? And that kryptonite, is yeah, the only thing. Is, is a shard of the planet that he was born from. Yeah. Uh, so that is kind of interesting. Also, I thought just as a production note that they the this the guy who plays the Night's King under all the makeup and all the prosthetics is the same guy that was tied to the heart tree. Oh, it actually so is. Okay. I think that is like that could just be a wink to us or it could be confirmation that this is the same guy. 
Oh, I, I took it as confirmation of that. Hmm. Okay. To me, he is the, the king's knight. Knight's okay. king, whatever All right. it's called. So, and then there's always been just one, which there's been a lot of crazier theories about how maybe the Stark started. And I guess there's nothing saying that good, he couldn't be an ancient Stark, I guess. I suppose not, yeah. Um, because that's something like the old Nan would tell in her tales about like if it was one of the old Starks. And, um, but I, it, it seems like that there isn't any kind of like, there's not a similar thing. There's no symmetry to like what the Night's Watch does with the their Lord Commanders. It's not like these mm-hmm. guys live for a time and then die. It seems like they're immortal. Yeah. And uh, this is ultimately, you know, a big mistake by the Children of the Forest. They're, they make this to combat the men who are coming across into Westeros and, and destroying their people and their land. Uh, and it gets away from them. Is this like the... the uh, I assume. Is this like you know, the, uh, the northern Manhattan project that they've created essentially a nuclear right. bomb and now it's proliferated and they, yeah. oh God, World War Three, Cuban Missile Crisis. And they had to join with the men to build the wall to keep them kind of out up there. Sure. So Makes there's also sense. several people emailed in to suggest that when we first see the Night's King being created, that clo- that that cluster of trees and with the symbols and stuff was in like a lush green meadowy forest. Yeah. And then when we later visit it in Brand's vision, now of course the key word here is Brand's vision. It seems like it's up in the land of Always Winter. Mm-hmm. Does that imply that not only did the children of the forest create the White Walkers, but they in fact created the cycle of winter? Uh, well, we do make a distinction between the two types of winter in this world, right? But if this is the only winter we've known for 8,000 years, is that a distinction that's useful to make? Like, I'm almost like, is it possible that Westeros didn't have winters until they did this shit? Or is it just that that's made the winters more severe? I mean, yeah, the, the I true answer to that question is, I have no fucking idea. Sure. But <laughs> I don't think anyone I, I like does. where your head's at. I like where it's going. Uh... Because again, you got the land of all. Like if, 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 at the very least, you've got climate change certainly, <laughs> that has been introduced yeah. here. Uh-huh. So those, uh, you know, the White Walkers are not. They don't have a light carbon footprint. They are the gas guzzling SUVs of uh, Westeros. All right. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. They're the incandescent light bulb of Westeros. Uh, normally, when I think of nature magic in in stereotypical fantasy stories. I don't think of ice. I don't think of ice at all Why not? when I think of tree people. Oh. Uh, because it's kind of anathema to, to plant life. Sure. You know, you don't want to freeze your plants. Not a good idea. Uh, what What is it? Do you know anything about these children of, of the forest that might enable them to create a White Walker? Because it seems to me like... I don't know where they got that power from, I guess. Well, see, that's the thing. Like, I've always con- I've always considered them kind of allies of, I guess, if I, you know, because it seems like everything's got this polarized thing in Westeros. And I always allied the children with, like, the the Lord of the Light. Okay. Because they were always these Sylvian creatures, as you say, associated with green things and growing and green seeing and the trees. Uh, but I also noticed that their little grenade thing, it seems like she charges that with ice power before it explodes in the fire. Right. Which no. maybe that they're 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 kind of like the bridge that that bridges both gaps of that magic that they can do both or it could be like you know like uh, I mean that that is an interesting fantasy goggles but if you put on real world goggles like mankind invents shit all the time that could kill them like poison gas and, and sure again nuclear bombs and all kinds of ordinances so it's like it could be that their most terrifying weapon is something that is like 
something that's cold and anathema, and they figured, well, it's bad for us, it's bad for the first men, who knows? Yeah. Uh, this, I mean, these are things that are like the bleeding edge of theory crafting because all this shit is brand new. Yeah, the yeah. fact that they use ice to charge grenades, the fact that they uh, strapped the man to a tree and shoved in city in his heart and made the wall. I mean, that shit is all completely brand new revelations. So, yeah, who the hell knows? But it's interesting because I'm trying to look at everything that the Three-Eyed Raven is showing Bran as kind of like, this is Green Seeing 101. Every one of these things is significant to your mission and your mission to come. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to fit it into that. It's like, it seems like the origin of the White Walkers and maybe some the, the understanding their weakness to dragon glass is valuable. But we'll talk more about that when we get to the Hodor revelation later. Right. Uh, anything else we wanted to... No. We talked about how the pattern was... I got it wrong. Uh, the circular pattern, the spiral pattern, is something that uh, the White Walkers did at the Fist of the First Men. Um, in season two, and Mance Raider found it and said, "Oh, always the artists." They did a different, almost like a kite-looking figure in the pilot episode of Game of Thrones. Um, okay, which didn't we didn't they didn't they arrange bodies in the forest like that too? The White Walkers. That's in the first episode they did, but it was almost like again, it looked like a diamond with legs coming off of it. It was definitely an ordered pattern, but the oh, spiral. I recall is, the spiral the, the, in that the, scene, the, but the spiral they did in okay. the season two when they had killed all of the uh, Night's Watch guys and they'd arranged their body parts in the spiral. So yeah, I don't yeah, know what the significance. Yeah, but the first one that we actually the, saw, I don't know if that symbol will turn out to be significant later okay um it didn't appear to me maybe it's their house symbol maybe that's the white walkers yeah yeah our sigils don't make sense what would the slogan be (laughs) that's what i'm saying we i mean also winter is coming (laughs) yeah winter's coming sure winter's here yeah right bitches summer's dead maybe Ooh. uh let's move on to the king lots of theory crafting about that too by the way oh i bet uh let's talk let's go to the the like the only place in Westeros that is Wait, more. Before we go, one other thing I wanted to mention that a lot of people brought up is when the when when the, the when Leaf the the child of the forest said we were doing it to protect us from you. Yeah, she's not. Is it possible she's talking about Bran? No, okay. I, I don't. I don't think so because they brought it on themselves, as we saw. Sure. In this episode, and and we like. From the history I know, I did a little reading on the backstory on this uh, with the Children of the Forest and these White Walkers. It was tens of thousands of people coming over across a land bridge, for, bridge from Essos that caused the 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 Children of the Forest to do this. Yeah. It, it wasn't like Bran, I, unless he influenced that at, at its base level. Well, that's, what, that's exactly what I'm getting at. I don't I'm, know how they would know that, though. Like maybe tree, tree. Yeah, dude. they're plugged into the Weirwood net. Yeah, I mean, old, they're the old original. Guy told they them. were the they were the original AOL subscribers. They were on the internet, the Weirwood net before it was cool. I suppose it could be. I mean, but I, I, I take it. So here's something that could be wrong. But I take it for granted that everything the third, the three eyed raven, the third eyed blind, everything that he showed Bran is something that children already know. Yeah. If if nothing else, because they were there, but also because right. they commuted the trees. Um, as much as he does. Did you think that the face on the tree looked a bit, a little bit like Max von Sydow, the actor who plays the third eyed? I mean, in that it had raven. creases all over it and like <laughs> it was white, rough as a it was a, a white old tree piece guy. of sandpaper. I, I thought it was maybe grit. <laughs> I thought it was maybe intentionally so. Uh, may, maybe, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Okay, uh, and people will notice, you know, the nature of the instant take. 
versus the full podcast is i've changed my opinion on that ah. like my my first question was could she be talking literally about bran yeah uh now i'm leaning toward no but yeah uh let's go on to the king's moot it's in progress on the only place that's bleaker than maybe the north the iron <laughs> islands uh yara stakes her claim to the salt throne and theon backs her up unfortunately Euron and his apparently intact cock because he makes a show of it he's really talking about his cock a lot they they show up a lot of not cock shame not cock having shaming going yeah. on this season. Yeah, it's I uh, feel bad, feel a little bad. For Make, makes Tyrion look even worse that Euron is coming up with his beer gut and his jowls, and he's making the same jokes. Like, come on, Tyrion. Uh, yeah, he shows up and sways the vote in his favor. And during the the kinging ceremony, I guess you would call it, uh, Yara and Theon take the boats and flee the Iron Islands. And then new King Euron commands everyone to start building boats so he can take them over to Danny and conquer Westeros together. Surprising that Euron just, yeah, I'm a Kinslayer and a Kingslayer. Fuck you. Uh, what this, other move does he have? He's just got to deny own it. it. Like you're, you're crazy. Like why, why not suspect your brother just because your brother backs you and I don't? Like I felt like there was a little. So, on the one hand, you've got a situation where you've essentially got this Council of Elrond situation, this long, kind of boring thing in the books that you have to condense into a pithy scene. I think they did a good job on that. On the other hand, it wasn't nearly as colorful as I thought. Like, even within the realms of piracy, I feel like that there, there's a lot more ribald jesting and, and clever witty, wit, witty remarks in the books versus this, uh, hmm. uh, what, how it goes down in the show. But yeah, I thought that yeah. there could be a little bit more political posturing rather than just, you know, my cock's bigger and I'm going to go take it and fuck Daenerys with it. Yeah. But having said that, it did what it needed to do. Um, I was kind of surprised that Theon and Yara were able to go and make off with essentially all of the Ironborn fleet. Uh-huh. Um, I'm also kind of surprised that they're going to say that he needs a thousand ships and that's going to be built in any kind of reasonable time frame. He like, wants every man, woman, and child working on it. What's one thing you look around it? the Iron Islands and you notice the absence of? Wood. Yeah. I don't see a lot of it. So, sire, we used three-fifths of all of our available lumber to make this crown for you. How? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, right. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll build it out of my cock. Like, sure. I've got plenty I got all the wood, wood you need. That, that's something he would say. I can't get... When I see this guy, every time I think of Matt Berry, who, if you've seen IT Crowd, he's Renholm. Mm. He's the second Renholm. Looks exactly like him mixed with maybe a little bit of Ewan McGregor. Mm, yeah. This, like, this is spot on for people who, who know what I'm talking about. I don't know if uh-huh. you've seen IT. Yeah, Crown. I have. I have. Yeah, okay. Looks exactly like that guy. I keep, I keep expecting him to, like, lay down on the ground nude and, like, strike a pose or something. It's, oh, it's blowing my mind. I like that they showed the drowning ceremony, too. I thought that was pretty yeah. cool. In the books, they always followed up with, like, a primitive type of CPR but I kind of like how the show is kind of like, well, if the drowned god wants you back, he'll bake, take you back. And it was a little bit of suspense thing. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of in the same way that Peter uh, Baelish does, he kind of risked everything. Like, to get to get the people behind him, he's got to go through this procedure. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Do you think he's a true believer? Because I was trying to believe he was more of, of, of the drowned god philosophy. Or is this a cynical oh. ploy to... No, because, I think it's more cynical than anything. Huh. I mean, with his comments about I am the drowned guy, like he's... But that might, I mean, he could be like, that could be a David Koresh type statement yeah, in which he so. has like unshakable faith. It's just mm-hmm. to the extent that he thinks he is Jesus. But I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure how to get a read on this guy, to be honest. Well, it's great to see this ceremony because, you know, their their slogan, what is dead may never die. Yep. Kind of their rallying cry here is is 
it makes sense now as a show watcher because I never understood exactly what they were talking about. But in the ceremony, you see it. It's yeah. literal. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like that. Also, I, I don't know about you, but in my opinion, the idea of a crown kind of falls flat if it's easily reproducible with a couple of pieces of driftwood. <laughs> like, you look at Joffrey's crown, it'd be hard to reproduce that and act like you're the king. With this, you could staple some wood together and be done with it. <laughs> I mean, collecting that amount of gold alone would probably be oh, impossible okay. for nearly any anyone other than royalty. I don't know. On the other hand, it's kind of cool that, you know, like, it's the living embodiment of what Tywin says. If you have to tell people you're the king, right. you're no king. Like, I, like, anyone could put a driftwood crown and say, I'm the king, but, yeah. like, no one's going to build a thousand ships for you. Right, but it, it's also this world, most people probably don't even know what the king looks like. That's true. For the most part. So having this symbol of I am the king. He's the one with the less shit on him. That's like in Monty Python. (laughs) What's that logic? Find the guy who's got the shiniest armor, he's got the least amount of shit on him. Uh Bend your knee. Bend your knee. (laughs) Yeah, but a good river bath, or river, there's no rivers (laughs) in the Iron Islands. A good ocean bath and a couple pieces of driftwood and you're suddenly the king of the Iron Islands. A good scrubbing and some driftwood. Yeah. Uh, There could be some, some forgeries at work. Uh, my other question here is how how many people are on the Iron Island? Because when he says build a thousand ships, well, we just saw a shitload of people. It must have been hundreds of people leave the Iron Islands on these boats with Yara and Theon. So they haven't really done a great job of telling me what the pop- rough population is over here. Because I, I never saw more than, you know, 30 people congregated, even when they're yeah, that's going a real on, problem. on the ship mission. That's a real problem. I mean, on, well, on the one hand, it's an opportunity because you just don't know. You don't know. and you don't, That's I, fair, but I don't have a sense of it either, which feels I, I have a feeling about where this is going to go, which I can't discuss until Friday, and maybe we can talk about more then. But okay. um, uh, I, I, think that's an op- I think that's a question maybe you're supposed to have because it seems pretty conspicuous and, like, yeah. Everybody was talking about it uh, in feedback. Uh, I, I noticed a lot of people that were reviewing it professionally were saying, I don't really have a good idea. Like This seems like a big scope project for yeah. these tiny island people, but uh, we'll see We'll see how it goes. I, I feel like that those are big enough questions that you, maybe you're supposed to have them, and they will be answered soon enough. Okay. Uh, we go over to Danny and Jorah and Dario, and Danny thanks Jorah for saving her life twice, even though she banished him, and he reveals that a, he loves her, which he says a couple of times here. Uh, also that he has grayscale. And then he says he's going to leave and kill himself before it gets all of him, presumably before it claims his Bronson. I mean, he's seen what it can do. Uh-huh. Wouldn't want that to happen. Uh, she commands him to find a cure and then return to her, essentially professing her own love for him. Oh, yeah. And all of this is happening right in front of Dario, uh-huh. Uh-huh. who's just standing there and taking it. <clears throat> he says. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like I said, we... Lots of different meanings of love here, and yeah. uh, it doesn't seem like there's any. I don't. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's any possible scenario in which Jorah walks away with Danny at his side and the way he wants not her with grayscale. No, and I, at this point, I don't even know that when he says he loves her, that he's not talking about like uh, you know romantic love because she's beautiful, or does she he love her like people say they love Jesus? Like she is this big savior queen uh mm-hmm. almost god type figure in his eyes now i don't even know that I, I wonder what would happen if she'd be like come on big boy and drops right. the skirt or drops the dress i i, I don't know because 
it's a big question about what kind of love are we talking about here. He's like, oh, oh no, no, I can't, no, that's, I can't desecrate no. you with my bare cock. That's not this thick, you know. Every square inch sure. is covered in hair. You're too 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 fine for me. I I don't know. I I, I don't know how he would roll. Yeah, uh, it's it's an open question. But I do really love this scene. I think you know, Emil Clark, Amelia Clark is just knocks it out of the park. Yeah, the guy who plays Jora, his name. I've I been critical of her acting in in other places, but I feel like that she either by you know st- studying the craft and rounding into shape or what. I, I feel like she's gotten a lot better as the years have gone by, and and to. Mm-hmm. It would absolutely cru- it's absolutely crucial that she does more than just crocodile tears at this point, and I think she did. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I, I think she could have been better, but this is definitely above replacement level at this point. Yeah. So then we go over to Marine, and Varys is congratulating himself and Tyrion on their success at quelling the killings in Marine on uh, the Sons of the Harpy and the, the former slaves. And Tyrion says they need someone the people can trust and can rally around to help them out. And they call in Red Priestess named Kinvara. And Tyrion thanks her for agreeing to help, but Varys uh, wants to know a little bit more. And he begins questioning her about yeah, the Varys wants to of read Stannis. the contract before he signs it. Tyrion's like, oh, where? This sounds too good to be true. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, I mean, Varys wants to test, you know, whether or not she's going to be able to admit a mistake, whether or not she's a reasonable person. And then he gets a little more than he bargained for when she expresses a lot more knowledge that than she should have about their histories and their journeys. Yes. And frightens him. Yeah, it creeps the hell out of both of these. Because we know that that's from the scene where he had with the uh, wizard that he finally got and captured, that this is something that was a really scarring experience, not just because he had his cock removed, but because of the uncanny powers involved. And those are things that he both hates and fears above all. And he's kind of confronted with them. Yep. Uh, and being asked to ally with this kind of power. I, and almost almost to this point, already being in too deep. Mm-hmm. Already. It's interesting because like, these are the same questions that Cersei should have asked the High Sparrow before <laughs> she just right. carte blanche gave him power. Uh, and he's asking it, but it's almost like, does it even matter? Because mm-hmm. we saw in previous seasons, even in this season, the Red Priests are already in the city preaching... Right, Dan. You know, Danny is whatever. She's the protector, and all this, that, and the other. So at this point, you either have to put that down or embrace it. And mm. I don't know that embracing it is the right move, from what we know yeah. of the other red priests and priestesses. No, I, th- I think they're tempting fate here. I think this is a pretty bad idea. Is one of the requirements to be a red priestess being smoking hot? Yes. Or yes. I noticed also. That she had the 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 conjuring ruby prominently on her throat. She does. Are all the priestesses crones that then appear very sexually attractive and 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 they make their jobs easier? Uh, where was Tyrion when he last saw the red priest in the square preaching? Was it that was, an actual red priest? I think so. Red priestess? Whatever. Well, no, it was a priest. It wasn't a male, I believe. And it, no, no, oh, no. There was oh, one last back. Yeah, was it yeah, in yeah. Volantis? When he was in that... Volantis and he okay. saw the um, yeah. the girl from Wolverine. The, right. I think of the Japanese-looking one. Yeah, yeah. That's... Was she wearing a necklace as well? I was couldn't... she an actual priestess? I think she was an actual pre- priestess because who else would be wearing? I know she was wearing a red robe and she was talking about R'hllor and the, the, the Lord of Light. Whether okay. she had a ruby on her throat, I don't know. All right, I couldn't tell you. I, I'm, it, it, I'm questioning like whether all of the red priestesses have this, or whether there's something just special about Melisandre. And 
Kenvara. That's the thing, like, because I, I, that also has a question about Thoros of Thoros of Mir. Like, he didn't believe any of this bullshit, but you'd think if he knew that everyone in the head of his order were a bunch of ancient crones that magic themselves into youthful appearance, that he would have right. a little bit more faith in the power. And maybe that's like, maybe this is a true matriarchy rather than the sham matriarchy that it looks like that the uh, uh, the, the the Dothraki have. I wonder mm-hmm. if like they actually are ruled by these really ancient crones that dispense yeah. their justice and give people's missions. And the other question I have is what happens in Melisandre? I mean, is this a, a schism in the faith? You got Melisandre proclaiming that John is the prince that was promised. You have this uh, woman proclaiming Daenerys is the princess that was promised. Who wins? Is there going to be a civil war in the faith? Is this going to be something where Melisandre is called in the carpet? Well, it's a song of ice and fire. Could both of them be promised? Well... <laughs> I don't know. Don't know, Jim. That's a pretty tasty, tasty theory there. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Let's go back to Bran if you're done with that scene. Yes. Okay. Everyone's snoozing, but he's wide awake. He's got got a case of the I can't sleeps. Uh, He grabs Mr. Treefort's roots and wargs potentially through time. He's trying Uh, to, he's, he's, he's obviously trying to see some porn. It's the only reason you stay up late at night for your parents. You creep right. down. You, you you log on to your parents' computer. Uh huh. Open up incognito mode. Yeah, it's real tough though in the in those days because you know you got the modem sounds coming out of the computer. <laughs> yeah. Your parents are probably gonna wake those up. Those weirwood screech like you wouldn't believe <laughs> yeah. when you handshake with them. Uh, so he sees the same trees where the first White Walker was created, and he also sees an army of whites around it. It's all snowy now. Uh, he wades through the army. They don't appear to notice him until he gets to the White Walkers, which lock eyes with him. And then one grabs his arm, and he wakes up, screaming, the Night King touched me, the Night King touched me. The Tree Fort guy says, where did he touch you? Bran says, <laughs> Show me sho- shows him on his arm. Uh, and he's, the, the Tree Fort tells him he's marked and that they have to leave. And he also says, Bran, uh, I know you're not ready, but now you have to become me. Yeah, I mean, you hire Max von Sydow just so he can deliver the whole, am I ready? No. Yeah. Because when he says no, you really fucking believe it. <laughs> you are screwed, kid. Yep. Uh, I So I thought that the zombie effects here are incredible. And I also thought it was really clever how whenever they're showing masses of them, they all have their backs turned. Uh-huh. To save up on makeup, but when Brand was like looking at individuals, they like were really detailed and heroic. So it's like you know a really nice way to frame that to where you maximize your budget. Uh, and then this whole marking thing, oh damn! Like this is what does that mean for Brand? Is he permanently marked? Uh, can he even run? I don't know. Or can he hide? I guess I don't. Of course, know. he can run. And you know the real thing that we need to talk about. Um, well, let's let's continue the scene because there's a lot of there's there we're not quite there yet. That's it. You're not ready. And yep. it goes no and his eyes go white and we cut over to another scene. Yep. Uh is this the same tree that they were showing us where the white walker was created? It doesn't appear to be because that one was on top of a hill which we know is that hollowed out cave. Yeah, but it was thousands was... and thousands of years ago. It so might what, have changed. The fucking Westeros got it a might pimple. Might have eroded. No, well, uh, <laughs> the land's not probably not going to go up. The land might go down around it. I don't think so. No? Okay. I don't, I, mm. And also, I don't think the white, the weirwoods last for 8,000 years. Unless you've got a guy inside Tree of it. magic. Yeah. He's living fertilizer. 
Uh, hey, man, you say that like no, it's I impossible. No, I know. I'm literally being you. I'm <laughs> okay. literally this, this and I'm crashing my being suspension you here. disbelief. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I. But but yeah, it's it's the uh, what do, what are you going to do? Um, I. But no, I, I think that by using the geography, they're they're trying to tell us that they're not the same location. And also, okay. But on the other hand, if they were in the same location, then it makes sense why the the White Walkers were near. And also, like, so right. people question, like, well, how did the Night's King get there so fast? I don't think the Night's King didn't know where the Three-Eyed Raven is. It's just he's – because they have to have some kind of telepathic link. I guess this is me speculating. But I, I've always assumed they had some kind of telepathic link with their whites. And a whole army of them attacked and were disintegrated by this tree power. So they didn't know before. They knew then. So it could be that they're just biding their time and hoping, hoping the impetuousness of this man, this Bran, would get them the edge that they needed to mark and execute him. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't have a problem. Like, they've been at hard home. They weren't just camping out there. Uh, where else would they be other than trying to figure out where? Because cause Bran is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's important enough for the Night's King to want to put an end to him. Yeah. Uh, I don't know exactly how or why he is, but uh, I don't know. Pretty exciting stuff, though. Yep. And I also don't know how much the Night's King knows about this whole this whole story. Like, does he know that Bran has the ability to travel through time? I mean, he must at this point, right? Yeah. Assuming, I mean... ass- assuming that he has any recollection of... Whenever or wherever the encounter with Bran was, yeah, and where he we, touched him, and and you know we've always seen them as this evil malevolent force, and and some of the more advanced theories have always tried to question that, but here we see that they were created by kind of the good guys, mm-hmm. but yet they're not obeying. Like obviously the the children of force at this point would wish they would like back the fuck off, but yeah. they're not. So like what. Is this because they had a specific set of programming that has gone amok, or is this because they have their own kind of consciousness and free will? Good question. Like, did they actively rebel, or is this like, you know, you create an AI that says, hey, keep us safe, and then the AI, you know, puts you all in suspended animation forever and ever. Like, that's not what we had in mind, but it doesn't give a shit. It's just trying to fulfill its duties. Those are all things that are kind of swirling through my my mind when I see this episode. Sure. Uh, Let's go up to the wall. John, Sansa, and Davos are trying to figure out the loyalties of the Northern Houses and how they can rally some troops. Uh, it doesn't look great. It doesn't look like a battle they can win until Sansa suggests they can go visit the Blackfish and get troops from him. But she lies about how she heard that, that he was doing his thing again, that he had taken River Run. Uh, afterward, Brienne questions her about why she lied if she trusts John so much, and she has no answer. And then as they prepare to leave, Sansa gives John a cloak with a wolf on it, John says goodbye to Ed, and everyone important rides away from Castle Black. Now, uh, and can I also say, sorry, Ed, didn't mean to exclude you. You're important, too. <laughs> but everyone we, we really care about rides away. Uh, I have a problem with some of this. Okay. Because I don't think it tracks. Huh. I don't think it tracks. All right. Go for it. Uh, so, well, let's first talk about them them planning, like, how they're going to get troops. Okay. Uh, I think Sansa has a good point that John is every bit a Stark as Ramsay as a Bolton. Uh, if you want to make that argument to people, I think that's an argument they can get. I mean, think it's something that they'd appreciate more than they might have later. It's like, well, fucking Ramsay. Like, you don't want to yeah. back John. John's a Stark as much as, yeah, I, I feel like that tracks. Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about 
what's this scene afterward where Brienne goes to Sansa and she says, uh, you know, I don't feel good about leaving you here. Uh-huh. This is how the scene starts. And Sansa's like, oh, well, I trust John. Mm-hmm. John's great, uh, even though he's just my half-brother, as Littlefinger pointed out. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand how we get from Brienne saying, I don't feel good about leaving you here with John to the next part of the scene where they then all leave together. Um. Well... I think that what she, the answer she gave to Brienne was satisfying enough to Brienne. Because it's not Brienne's place to say. No, 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 no. Because she says, I don't feel good about leaving you here alone. That's a direct sure. quote. Yeah. Okay. Sansa says, what, with John? I trust John. Yes. And then everybody fucking leaves the next scene. Right. With no resolution to why they would actually, like, Clearly, at the beginning of the scene, at the outset, the plan is to leave her at Castle Black with John while she goes and talks to Blackfish, because that's what they say in the scene. Uh-huh. Well, see, I thought that the other plan, part of the plan, is they are going to ride and try to rally the smaller houses, because all of the small houses together equals the three large houses that they think have declared for Bolton. So, John and Sands are going on a mission to rally them to his faux start flag, and Brienne is going to ride to River River Run and try to treat with the Blackfish. But she says, "Leave you here alone." Well, I mean, I'm not going to. I, I, I mean, it's it's something doesn't track in this scene. Okay, I like, mean, it could just be that doesn't. she's mistaken. Uh, well, not mistaken, but like she was just speaking. Like, I don't want to leave you here. Versus, I don't want to leave you with John. Like, I feel like it's what six of one, half dozen the other. Okay, I didn't like it. Okay, I, I thought it was. You know what I did like? Mistake or something? Yeah. Brienne is a is a is a comedy gold in this episode <laughs> where she talks about John being brooding. Uh huh. Oh my god! And then and that wilding fellow with the beard can can join with her visible facial expressions as he's leering at her. Uh huh. This oh my god! I can't get enough of it. I can't it's, get enough of it. It's seeming less like a ship and more of like sexual harassment at this point. But because I, it doesn't I, seem like no. Brienne is for it at all. Yeah, I mean, how how much like smiling at someone goofily? Like everybody's been there. Like I'm not I've got saying that he's actually on... sexually harassing her. I'm just saying that. But that's what you just said. But I I say a lot of things involving gorilla cocks that are not to be taken literally. It's part of my comedy deal. So okay. I so I think that Brienne. Mm-hmm. At first, I thought that she might be intrigued by Tormund. It seems more and more that she's repulsed. Like. She is the, yeah. the torment. I mean, and you know, torment could change your mind by just being, uh, you know, a nice guy, and and right. he could be a fierce in battle, and she could come to appreciate his other qualities. But when you look at who she professes she's been sexually attracted to before, which is Renly Baratheon, he was a very he was on the other end. He was not this hairy, hulking brute. Right. He was very fine, physically attractive, slight, not a great warrior. Uh, Jamie, while he was a great warrior, Jamie was also described as very beautiful, and yeah. show Jamie also is this total hunk. Mm-hmm. Tormund is this barbarian guy, so it's not exactly right, right up her alley, but you know, he, he just needs a shave. He needs a good shave, a good uh-huh. cleaning, I good do, scrubbing. I do feel like the verdict is in, and right now she's not presently physically or emotionally attracted to. She's yes. not intrigued yes. and not know how to deal it. Like, oh, I'm feeling these girlish feelings I haven't felt in so long. No, I think she's just disgusted with them. Yeah, she's but turned off. She's not having any of it. But it's 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 funny, and it also is. she could probably cave his head in if he gets out of hand. So it's not Maybe anything so, that yeah. I'm really worried about. It's just funny, 
Right. It's funny. Okay. Uh, like Tormund pulling this shit with Sansa, creepy. Yep. Pulling it with J- yep. Brian, uh, could be some hilarity ensuing. Indeed. Uh, okay, let's move on to Mira packing up the, the stuff in the tree and talking breakfast with Hodor when she gets kind of a bad feeling or maybe she hears something and she runs outside to see an army of whites and the Night's King plus his buddies. Uh, they attack from all directions, and as everyone fights them off, Mira tries to wake Bran so he can pilot Hodor to safety. He doesn't <laughs> quite wake up, but he does take control of Hodor, who sacrifices himself by holding a door, which allows him to escape. And at the same time, we're intercutting between Bran's vision, where Willis collapses, repre- repeating the phrase, hold the door, over and over, which gradually turns into just Hodor. And we have the origin of Hodor. I love, love, love this scene for more than one reason. All right, let's 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 recount them. Uh, not only d- does it, you know, do a hell of a job packing emo- packing an emotional punch. Sure. Uh, I think it's taken, you know, six years to create this beloved character that now, we now have to see die. Yeah. Not only is it the death of this character, uh-huh. it's also in a lot of ways the birth of this character. Like there's this weird book ending of Hodor's entire life been hijacked for the service of Bran Stark. Right. I mean, I don't. I'm not making any judgments about it. I'm just saying I like the, the no, no, symmetry no. here. But that, I think that you get you can't talk about the heroic sacrifice right. without also keeping in mind that Hodor wanted no part in any of this stuff before mm-hmm. Bran jacked him. And I yeah. think that's something that Bran is coming to the same realization as he's using Hodor selfishly, like yeah. maybe righteously, but selfishly to save his own skin. He's also coming to realization he's stolen Hodor's entire life from him right. with this act. Yeah. And you got to ask yourself why, with with the Night's King breathing down their neck, very little time left, and all mm. the things that the Three-Eyed Raven could probably be showing Bran, why did he show him this moment? And it's got to be to open Bran's mind to the possibilities and the dangers of this warging business. Sure. That this yeah. is not a immutable past. Well, or that it is an immutable past. Uh, I mean, that's the whole nature of the time paradox. Like, And that feels like there's a lot of people just viscerally don't like this. Like, well, how did Hodor become Hodor if Bran warging into Hodor made him in Hodor in the first place and he hadn't done that yet? Like, that's don't think of it how, as a, yet. Ti- that's I mean, how these... a time paradox work. It happened right. and it will always happen this way. Right. Think of everything. I like – so they, they touched on this in After the Thrones. I watched it this week and I thought it was – you know, in some places, a lot better. Still, still, no. Very, I mean, very they're, they're, TV they're and very rounding awkward. into pretty good shape, I think. But but Andy Greenwald said something that I really thought was was insightful and interesting. Is that you need to stop thinking about this as past and present and yes. future. You need to think of it all as happening in a single stroke. Like just this is the thing that happened. Go smoke a bong. Go 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 smoke a bong. Uh, watch season one of True Detective and meditate on time being a flat circle until you get it, man. Exactly. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Yeah. I think the other thing showing him this vision, this particular vision, does is it kind of reinforces this idea. And I don't have the exact quote, but what Tree Fort's been telling him that kind of no one is innocent and everyone has a part to play and everyone dies and everyone lives and like we're all just part of this thing and you yeah. need to stop thinking about it like as a tragedy of oh hodor had his life stolen from him well so did millions of other people thousands i guess in this world yeah uh and and he's just part of that event it's not it's not that much of a tragedy according to tree fort guy 
Hmm. That's a lot trying of Trying to teach him a lesson about... Not, yeah, I, Well, I, trying I, to teach him that yes. morality doesn't have a big thing to play in here. We're just trying to preserve the timeline, preserve the world. Well, that's world. the thing. Like, has the timeline gone wrong and they're trying to correct it? Because that's the thing. Like, if this thing happened, it's always happened. I don't happened, think so. Then yeah. is, Bran, is this like a very Matrix-like philosophy that he's not trying to get an answer to a question? He's trying to understand why he's asking the question in the first place? Because this shit's Probably. already happened. Yeah. You're just struggling to understand why it happened yeah. and where you need to go and also how much deeper does it go. Yeah. Because this goes back into this brand, like, uh, there's going to be a lot of crazy theories we're going to read this week on the, the email uh, section. Which, I bet. Uh, and, and I'm not even talking about the spoiler. Like, this shit's all out in the open to be talked about. Like, you know, did is Bran responsible for the Mad King? Is Bran responsible? Like, the, 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 so many people that inexplicably went crazy or lost their faculties that are that that's that's that we've we've met in the game of thrones universe like how many of those things did bran influence Mm -hmm. and what else is he going to see in the weirwood net and how many other pieces is he going to try to influence things that goes wrong and I, i i don't know there's a lot of people you either love this episode or you really got afraid uh, you know, if, and if you're a Lost fan, maybe you got a little bit more afraid than others because anytime yeah, that, like, like, there's ways to tell time travel stories that are very gripping and noodle bending and interesting, and there's a lot mm-hmm. m- more ways to tell them, and they're completely shitty and stupid, yeah, and make you want to throw your book at the wall or your remote at the TV, and time will tell, um, about what we're going to get in this 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 particular uh, version, but. I'm not going to just because I've seen time travel done shittily. I'm not going to write this off, right? Uh, I think that'd be a mistake. But it does blow everything wide open. The, yeah, the possibilities here are endless. Here's another hot theory. Yeah. So Bran's marked by the Night's King. Mm-hmm. This allows the Night's King to bypass any magical systems or wards that are present pre- pre- designed to prevent him from crossing these thresholds. Where does Bran go now? What's his most logical move? Uh, you know, it scares me that Bran could potentially go south. Yes. And I, I, we've talked, I, I, tell me if this is a spoiler okay. and I'm going to mark this just in case, cause I can't remember if we talked about this in the spoiler cast or full cast. Uh-huh. We've talked about how the wall has potentially some kind of magical barrier yes. and it's not just the, it's height that stops the white walkers from going through. Yeah. If Bran goes south of that, uh-huh. might that not enable the White Walkers to go south of that? Indeed. And I think that... That's scary. Because... Because I don't know if he understands that the, the, the thing I don't understand, they might have muddied it up, not paying attention to their own continuity, but in the first season, they made it clear that the Black Brothers brought a white under their own horsepower underneath the wall, mm-hmm. and it then reanimated once it got to the other side. Whereas when these whites tried to enter the cave, they exploded into bones, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I, may, maybe they can go into like sleep mode or whatever. But there, the, the, I think that that season one scene is trying to suggest that there is some kind of warging or some kind of wards that protect the wall. It's not just the height, but it's uh-huh. like some kind of magical barrier. And we saw the White Walker, the the king has a spell that he can like slam the ground, and that's what enabled the big cracks to form in the cave which let all the whites kind of pour in like a zombie waterfall yeah you can imagine that same scene of bran and mira 
understandably trying to get south, right. go underneath the wall with you know, and and the and the place they already know how they can get kind of get an in. And just the you know what does that spell look like when employed against the wall and Jeez. and what did John say to Ed before he I left? know it's so ominous. Try not to knock the wall like that's ha ha. How could you fuck up so bad? But what if that's exactly what happens? Man, I'm worried. I'm real worried because I don't think Brand knows quite enough yet not to go south. If that's Why, the case. yeah. Yeah, um, and the, and South would be the safest place for him. That's the only place that's safe for on him. On the other hand, that could be that could be used as a real point of tension. That he's smart enough to know, like we can't go south through wall. He said that that's Mark, and like you know, I I I don't know. And also, I think feel like that they were suggesting that the real less final lesson was how to warg into the weirwood net without having physical proximity because. Bran was unplugged, and he still maintained his vision state. So right. maybe now he can just, you know, I, I feel like that's something that the Three-Eyed Raven could do. Maybe there, there was multiple lessons being packed into here. Because on yeah, the it surface was, it was of it, this was, this was essentially just uh, Ned was going off to the Vale to, to be the ward of John Aaron. Like, that's the only thing. And, and there's a slightly inspirational, if you got to be in a fight, win but there was uh, nothing right, else right. as far as the actual uh, other than Hodor getting Hodord, uh-huh. Willis getting Hodord, and maybe some metaphysical lessons that that Bran is going to learn. But I don't know. Uh, there's a couple other things I think people got wrong. People were suggesting that the child of the forest tried to kill the White Walker with a spear and was unable to. And then Mira was able well, that's, to. That's and the, true, but it didn't penetrate his armor. That's the thing. Like I feel like the, the children of the forest are our children like their stature and strength is is not great which is why the men were slaughtering them so like they lacked a physical strength to punch through their armor whereas john swinging a sword or mira with her skill and in the books they talk about how skillful she is with a spear that that she's able to and she did say she like took aim and just got him right in the neck yeah it's not that you know she has some special like ability to or like her sam and john have special ability it's just that she was able to get the dragon uh uh, glass into his his body whereas the other it clearly went up against his armor and she lacked the strength to punch it through so i wanted to kind of head that off because it seems like that's the real you know that's that's the real takeaway uh also the other thing about mira real quick to, to go back to the the point we made before is she might actually be the only one who is still alive that saw the White Walkers come through the fire um, yes. and, and kind of break this spell. Possibly. So maybe she can kind of give some guidance to Bran. And we know that she's special because the leaf has said that you are going right. to be, you know, he's going to leave this place and you're going to be crucial to his survival and to his ability to do whatever he is. Uh, yeah. What did you make of Bran becoming... Because the Three-Eyed Raven said, you now have to become me. I think what he's transferring fuck? some kind of powers, like some abilities, new abilities, right? Because he saying, lets like, go of the roots and he can still warg and like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and what is his like? What has the Three-Eyed Raven been doing for a thousand years? Does he have like official posts? Mm. Like is he, is, is he the commander against the White Walkers? Does he like monitor this situation and subtly influence the time? Is that his job that he subtly influences the timeline in a way that man and the children of the forest can survive? Could be. Is um, the children of the forest dead now? All of them? Yeah. Like extinct? I Like this is something we talked about could with the be. giants. Like, could be. I mean, clearly there's not many of them and a shit ton of them died in this battle. I wonder if that was like the last of them. Might be, yeah. Um, uh, let, 
Why does Leaf sacrifice herself here? Her, her, her himself. I don't know. They, they all look just like. Sure. They're probably. I mean, they don't have be, a gender. That's what I'm saying. They could be asexual and yeah. just reproduce by. I'm going to say herself her because it's, she's played by a woman. Yes, sure. But uh, why does Leaf sacrifice herself? It doesn't seem like she needs because to. Because the Double Ds are huge fans of aliens, and they wanted to pay homage to the Vasquez scene where she. Okay. Uh, there's that. Uh, I, I mean. I think that I, the real question is why did Summer sacrifice himself? Because that was man, they just don't give these direwolves badass endings. Yeah. Like I want to see like when when Gray when when Gray Wind was attacked by the phrase, I want to see him kill about forty or fifty of those fuckers before going down. Yeah, Summer took out like a white or two, and then he goes up is like snarl, and then he just fell on him with weapons. Like he didn't go down fighting at all. Like, and you don't have to write in and tell me why they're doing the things they're doing because i know it's delay tactics sure they're just trying to keep them off their backs long enough for brand to get away but i feel like throwing the grenade into the crowd would have done the exact same the only thing. thing i can think of is that a, a horde of them stopped to stab her mm-hmm. so like she effectively became bait to attract a whole bunch of them and then died i guess and yeah. it, it was close enough that that might have mattered at the end with hodor right. barely getting the door closed yeah and the other thing is like maybe I was 90% sure Hodor is dead, 10% sure he was going to be able to survive. I am 100% sure he's dead. Yeah. Because one thing I did miss in the first watch is they were actually getting knives into him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's getting he's, sliced up. He's dead. He's not I agree. coming back. Uh, a lot of people want to know, for fairly morbid reasons, are we going to see Hodor come back as a white, or will we see Summer come back as a white? <laughs> Man, I don't want to see Hodor as a white, but I could definitely see that happening. Yeah, and I don't. God, it'd be real, real horrible if be like, real Hodor the... was now coming after Bran. Yeah, sure. Like, well, maybe Bran <sighs> is able to warg into him and Jack uh, a white. Maybe. Like, that's an interesting possibility. Also, I also wonder if there's an Obi-Wan Kenobi possibility with the Three-Eyed Raven. Uh-huh. You know, this talk of becoming me, is he going to, like, what does it mean to die when you're inside the Weirwood net? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> but it's, I, I'm it's actually, exciting. I have no idea why Bran didn't want to wake up in that moment and just regular straight-ass warg into Hodor. Well, it's almost like, could he? Be- because like, was the Three-Eyed Raven deliberately manipulating a scenario to teach him multiple he lessons have, yeah. that he's going to kind of unpack over the episodes to come? That's fair. Because he doesn't, like willfully go into that final warg state right no he's he's pulled in by and he had he had the he also had the warg through hodor's vision Mm -hmm. of hodor to get to hodor right uh yeah that's and and a lot of people were wondering like oh how did that all work to me it was just like because he was in a vision at the time and also warged into hodor Mm -hmm. there was some kind of connection made there yeah the past and the present it's like a short circuit loop you know like right I, and uh, you know it's all magic, so I couldn't tell you exactly how it worked. Right. But obviously, the two timelines were connected. See, you're in getting that moment. it. You're starting to you're starting to get see how those figures out. You build on things right. you know before. I'm not just calling complete bullshit on all of it anymore. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it for the episode. I thought it was another great one. So yeah, an incredibly dark ending. Now I want to something we did two years ago as a joke. Um, it it it. it it spawned. It, I for some reason started seeing the reigns of Castamere only with all Hodor's in the shower, <laughs> and 
I and so we decided to make a little video. Uh, uh, it's called the Hodors of Hodomir, and I'm going to link that in the show notes. But you can also find it in our YouTube page at Bald Move. Or sorry, YouTube.com/slash/BaldMove, and it's it's me poorly singing the reigns of Castamir using only the word Hodor, set to a whole bunch of fan art and image macros and scenes of Hodor being Hodor. Um, yep. So yeah, if you want to, if you want to. Uh, Give a, a fitting heroic end to Willis. Uh, check out the Hodors of Hodomir and see what you think. <laughs> Again, that'll be linked in the show notes. Spent an hour and 20 minutes, and I feel like we still probably left stuff on the table. But that's what the feedback's for. That's what Friday's podcast is for. Yep. This week's episode is sponsored by Audible, the purveyor of uh, spoken word audio content on the web. And you can get a free trial for the Audible service right now by going to audiblepodcast.com slash GOT. And I'm a big fan of Audible. I actually started using it um, during the Game of Thrones season. I, I can't remember hmm. which, which time I read the books or I read a bunch of the books. I read it. Uh, I read like the first three and then I skipped them until we got to like season three or four. And then I read like feast and dance all together. And I know that the way I did that was by essentially inhaling it using audible that I would read at night on my Kindle. And then in the morning I would get in my car and go to my commute and I would, and, and audible would pick up using the whisper sync technology exactly where I left off and continue reading. And that way I was able to read both of these giant books in like six weeks. I feel like WhisperSync um, might be scary to people. Like, oh, do I have to download something? No, it's just part. It's built in. It's built into the yeah. whole experience. And also, if you're wondering, I don't have a Kindle or an audio, uh, an Audible player. Well, yeah, you do. Unless you, if you, if you have a smartphone, I don't know what you're listening to this on, but it probably plays Audible books too. Yeah, if you've got a laptop, if you've got a tablet, if you've got a smartphone, you've got an Audible player. Yep. And yeah, also WhisperSync, you don't have to worry about going crazy. There's no Hodor no. threat at all. <laughs> it's just, it's just. Uh, Roy Dotris uh, with the dulcet tones reading you. Uh, in fact, I thought, because uh, there's a couple passages in the King's Moot, but the King's Moot is a big section of book, and it's really hard to get a nice, tiny sound bite. And I know there was mm-hmm. a little bit of grumbling about how the book version of the epic standoff between Ned and the Kingsguard and the Tower of Joy was unfairly truncated. I thought we might pluck that piece out and have Roy read that. This was something we got way back in the first book. Hmm. Uh, wow. If you were a book reader and that just now came to light in the show, this is the kind of tidbits, the behind the scenes stuff that you get. Um, if, if, if you take the plunge and become a book reader and Audible makes it easy. Without further ado, let's play the clip. They were seven facing three. Yet these were no ordinary three. They waited before the round tower, the red mountains of dawn at their backs, their white cloaks billowing in the wind. Their faces burn clear even now. Sir Arthur Dane... The sword of the morning had a sad smile on his lips. The hilt of the great sword Dawn poked up over his right shoulder. Sir Oswald Went was on one knee, sharpening his blade with a whetstone. Across his white enameled helm, the black bat of his house spread its wings. Between them stood fierce old Sir Gerald Hightower, the white bull, lord commander of the king's guard. I looked for you on the trident, Ned said to them. We were not there, Sir Gerald answered. "'Woe to the usurper if we had been,' said Sir Oswald. "'When King's Landing fell, Sir Jamie slew your king with a golden sword, "'and I wondered where you were. "'Far away,' Sir Gerald said, "'or Ares would yet sit on the Iron Throne, "'and our false brother would burn in seven hells. "'I came down on Storm's End to lift the siege,' Ned told them, "'and the Lords Tyrell and Redwine dipped their banners "'and all their knights bent their knee to pledge us fealty.' 
I was certain you would be among them. Our knees do not bend easily, said Sir Arthur Dane. Sir Willem Darry is fled to Dragonstone with your queen and Prince Viserys. I thought you might have sailed with him. Sir Willem is a good man and true, said Sir Oswald. But not of the king's guard, Sir Gerard pointed out. The king's guard does not flee. Then or now, said Sir Arthur, he donned his helm. We swore a vow, explained old Sir Gerald. They were seven against three. And now it begins, said Sir Arthur Dane, the sword of the morning. He unsheathed dawn and held it with both hands. The blade was pale as milk glass, alive with light. No, Ned said with sadness in his voice, now it ends. As they came together in a rush of steel and shadow, he could hear Leanna screaming, Eddard, she called. A storm of rose petals blew across a blood-streaked sky as blue as the eyes of death. Obviously, I think that was cool. It's also cool if you got it, you know, if, if you came into the season expecting it. Um, also, you know, uh, the big selling point Audible is they have the complete unabridged works of George R. R. Martin. And if none of that floats your boat, they got 180,000 other complete unabridged titles. Once again, you can get a free 30-day trial today by signing up at audiblepodcast.com slash GOT. This podcast is also sponsored by us, baldmove.com, uh, specifically our club at club.baldmove.com. It's a cool feature. Uh, you can go, you pay as little as a buck a month, you get ad-free podcasts, and what also might be interesting to you is, like I mentioned, there's a difficulty with iTunes and having a full catalog. The club feed doesn't have any of that nonsense. It doesn't go through iTunes, so you can subscribe to it and get all an entire back catalog. You can sign up, if you like all of our podcasts, you can sign up for a fi- what we call the Firehoe. F- fire ho. That's a whole different thing. That's involving Melisandre and some... <laughs> blood the, magic. Yeah, blood magic, some shadow babies. You can get our Fire Hose feed that has all of our podcasts. You don't have to subscribe to individual feeds. You get it all. It's all ad-free. Uh, you can also watch us record the podcast live uh, in your web browser. If you're bored at work on a Tuesday and you're like, God damn it, when will 5 o'clock come? When can I get this podcast? Goodness. You could have already been watching it, man. You could have been streaming it live in the background. People think you're working on spreadsheets. You got your headphones in. They're none the wiser. All that stuff and many more. All those features, extra bonus content, can be found at club.baldmove.com. Thank you in advance for your support. Uh, let's start with the feedback. You can send it to Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Um, and it's too late for the main cast, but we still got a lot of room for the spoiler edition that comes out on Friday. So, questions with Matthew B. Wants to know what becomes of Melisandre. It seems like she has to die. Theory one, she's killed by Brienne in revenge for Renly. Theory two, she's killed by Davos in revenge for Shireen. Uh, hopefully involving onions, he says parenthetically. <laughs> Theory three, she ends up killing herself to save Jon Snow because every life demands death. Theory four, she somehow plays into the High Sparrow's plan, a la the religious crusades of the Middle Ages. Or theory five, the Bald Move podcast has a better theory. You got any ideas about what is Melisandre's final fate? Uh, I don't. I do want her to die. I despise her. Uh, <laughs> I don't despise her. I've always despised her, and and her being wrong and sad about it doesn't doesn't make me feel any kinder toward her. Uh, I I don't know. She just she needs to bite it, and whether she bites it at the hands of, uh the Lannisters or John or even Davos himself. I doesn't matter to me. Just kill her. See, I think, I think she's going to be significant either as a way to fracture this 
Lord of the Light religion or maybe unify it. Because they're clearly setting up this kind of opposition with the, you know, either John being a prophesied person or, and also the way that the, um, the, the, the red priestess over with Tyrion, the way she kind of took everything that Varys said in stride about the, um, Stannis thing makes me wonder whether Melisandre, that was an officially sanctioned stance she took because she doesn't deny it or anything. She just kind of like puts on her smile and like, you know, then then mind fucks him with the the, the wizard bits, but mm-hmm. I I don't know. Mel- Melisandre has always seemed like a little bit of a loose cannon, so I don't I don't think she's going to die any anytime soon. To be honest, you can feel free to quote me when she does three episodes from now. But, <laughs> right. Uh, moving on from Inver from Toronto, I'm going to piggyback on someone's question from last week uh, regarding Davos learning of Shireen's fate and point out that during the Stannis Bolton clash, more like slaughter, there were a lot of deserters, sell swords, second sons, etc., who witnessed the sacrifice. Even though it seemed Melisandre would have confessed to Davos herself, had Brienne not interrupted, he would have gotten wind of it eventually considering all the brothels that they frequent where such gossip has got to be more valuable currency than a Bravosi two-faced coin. How does Davos take it? Does Mel make it out of the season? And is he the one swinging the sword? I still don't think she's going to find out. I think everyone who knew was killed. Hmm. But he's right that all most of Stannis's army defected to the Boltons, and they all knew that that happened. And it's very unbelievable that none of these guys would be able to start this rumor. Oh that's yeah, a great, that's right. Okay. Yeah, like all of his mounted huh. cavalry, most of his cell right. swords, they all went and declared for the Boltons, and they did survive. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I just don't care that much. Like. I think Davos, at this point, when he finds out, like, he's been disappointed in the people that he's thrown in with before. And he's defied the people he's thrown in with before to suit his own moralities and and wisdom. I don't know that this, like, this is probably the the stakes where they're the most personal. But he had a genuine love and admiration for Stannis. And Stannis did a lot of things that disappointed him. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know that you can take it for granted that he's going to be like fuck this woman in particular and split her in half of the sword just because he finds out about the princess. Yeah, and I, I really just feel like the show, if it was going to deal with it, should have dealt with it sooner. Like, well, I don't know if you can come back in episode two, three, oh, they next can. season and do it and have me really care. Like, this is it, it, the further it gets into the past, the well, less I'm, I'm inclined to say yeah good on you davos Keller. and that's what i'm saying because he was the first one to say that's in the past milady when when uh you know brian sure. wants to bring up all the dirty laundry from the past so in yeah fact, she could, I could twist that back around that's him. what i'm saying she could throw that right back in his face i thought this was all in the past so mm-hmm. you know if it's good enough for brian and her lover being killed with dark magic then it's got to be good enough for you and your princess right uh but no i i i just I guess I don't take it as a face value fact that he has to get pissed off and take his revenge. Although that could be interesting too. Mm-hmm. John D from Massachusetts says, when you address John Stark's decision to hang the co-conspirators, co-conspirators who murdered him before alerting his brothers that, Oh, by the way, my watch is over. There was a definite mirroring in the writing of the episode. The flashback at the tower of joy as brand witnessing a similar bending of the rules by Ned. When he's saved by Howland Reed's well-timed shiv to the back and the head of Sir Arthur Dane, by the way, Lots of feedback saying that that wasn't really a breach of etiquette and honor because it was during... And I am i don't agree. I think that Ned Stark would see stabbing someone in the back as dishonorable. Sure, you can fine. disagree, 
and you can disagree about whether what would actually happen in the heat of battle. But I'm just saying my understanding of Ned Stark is that he would see that regardless of what you think, sure. regardless of what I would think and what I would do, that he would see that as cowardly and dishonorable and something that he wouldn't want to brag about. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy, uh, John, continues, both are examples of extremely conscientious Starks benefiting from rule bending to vanquish their enemies. It can't be an accident that the writers chose two examples of the most straight shooting guys in Westeros playing or countenancing playing a little dirty in the service of the greater good in the same episode. It's especially noticeable because Ned and John are two towering figures of rectitude in the series, which may, might include Brienne as well to make a trio. Do you agree? I just fundamentally disagree that John did anything dishonest in any kind of way. He, I don't think he bent the rules at all. I think he followed the rules precisely. But if his watch ended, I mean, I don't see how you can say that if a plain reading of the facts says his watch ended when he died, when he resurrected, he's no longer Lord Commander. He executed these dudes in the office of Lord Commander, which he then surrendered to Ed. Right. That's got to be a, I'm not saying breaking, but a bending of the rules, no? Uh, I don't know. I mean, does he have to be Lord Commander to put these guys to death? I mean, I guess that's a fair point. If he's just making a citizen's execution, citizen's execution. You killed. You killed me. Yeah. You killed me, fuckers. Now I'm gonna kill you. Like, and I don't I, need a jury because I was fucking there. And everyone just agrees with me, so they're gonna let this happen. Like, okay. it's, I don't yeah, know that he I, needs to be Lord Commander to do that. He just hadn't gotten around to saying, "You're, I get this off me. It I don't want it." Does feel like a bit of rules lawyering, or no matter which way you go, a little bit, but. Yeah. Not as much as I, I agree with you about Ned Stark being honorable and, and viewing his own actions as dishonorable. Yeah. Daniel C. said, So something that hasn't set right with me from one of the earlier episodes was the burning of the fleet of ships and marine. Ooh, I like this one. If it was a scene that nobody has talked about, really, and I kept waiting for someone to bring it up, but the scene seemed to have been glossed over by most viewers, being viewed as just another setback for Danny to overcome. But what nobody seems to be asking is, why would the slavers who want Danny gone so badly destroy the ships meant to carry her away from Essos, and essentially forcing her to stay even longer to rebuild her fleet? Since no one else has seemed to question it, I just filed it back in my mind as something to keep an eye on. But during Tyrion's meeting with the slavers... One of them mentioned that they wanted Danny, Danny gone so badly they even offered her ships so that she could leave, but were turned down. This brought that nagging thought back to the forefront of my mind and gave birth to some new thoughts and speculation. I don't think the slavers would burn that fleet for any reason. That means that the ships truly were set on fire by the sons of Harpy, then they would have proof that the slavers were telling the truth when they said that they were not the ones funding them. I don't know if I agree with this part. He goes, but, or the other option is that it was not the sons of Harpies that burned the fleet. Is it a coincidence that right around the time the fleet is burnt, we are introduced to Euron Greyjoy? Where else in Game of Thrones lore would we have been given the image of burning a fleet of anchored ships? Hmm. Um, who That's has the motivation to destroy Danny's ships? Who has the most motivation? Certainly not the slavers or the sons of Harpy who want Danny gone so badly. Would it not make more sense for the man who wishes to intertwine his own destiny with Danny's would take away the one resource she knows most and the one that he has in abundance? Destroying the fleet instantly makes Euron a necessity to Danny's future plans in Westeros. It provides Euron with the end he needs to work his way into Danny's inner circle. I kind of like, I don't know how, because, you know, we got the whole jetpack theory, and now we've got, like, you know, rocket-powered sailing ships. How he would well, get no. from Slaver's Bay to... He the, could send someone to do it, right? Like, right. that's not, he doesn't have to be acting alone. Uh, right. So or he could I, use, I was prepared to say, you know, there are reasons why the Slavers might 
say, you know what, you wouldn't leave, so now you can't leave, and we're right. going to kill you. Yeah. Maybe that, but but connecting the dots to Euron kind of makes a lot of sense. It does. It's nothing proof. This is like would be right. the first step of the Martin's famous three-step reveal, which if you've just joining the podcast, and a lot of you are, he said many times that he gives like a tiny breadcrumb for the very most astute readers. Yeah. Then one is pitched at like the average reader, and then he just bashes you in the head so you're not left behind on on his like you know prophecy and you know conspiracy theory and all that stuff set up so this could be you know the very first breadcrumb that the sharp people are supposed to check the the, pick up that dan daniel is uh picking up here uh again not a lot of hard evidence but it does and you've got the distance and time and but the way that with this show treats time and the elasticity of it and distance and i and i i'm with i'm i'm all for that I don't yeah. have a problem with with Littlefinger having a jetpack if it if it can if it consolidates the plot and and gets us to the good stuff sooner. Mm-hmm. I like the theory a lot. I do too. Uh, I think it's, it's solid because if Danny's got the ship, she doesn't need Euron. Suddenly, she needs Euron. Yeah. Uh, uh, can we if we're talking about George Martin's writing style a little bit here? Okay. There's a point I wanted to a, a question I wanted to ask you. Uh, about Hodor, Hodor as a character. Okay, like we've we've talked about the couple of different, you know, two of the the different writing styles, which is the architect versus the gardener. Sure, and how Martin is the gardener, and he kind of uh, writes his way into these interesting things, and just kind of lets the characters develop how they want to. How do you come? How do you garden your way into Hodor? The, I- because the scar on his head in my opinion, is a big red herring as mm-hmm. to how he got his name with all the reveal stuff we've done, yeah. which has been a character trait forever since yeah. the inception of that character. Uh, that character himself had the name Hodor since we met him. Yeah. How do you garden your way into that? You know, I don't know um, because the only one thing I do know is that this is a George R. R. Martin original because the Double D's, Dan and, and, and right. uh, David, were both very candid about the fact that that was one of the more mind-blowing things they learned when they sat down with George in that hotel room to get the rest of the story they needed to tell is that, that Hodor's origin story. Right. Um, so that's a very damn good question. That's a very – I guess – you know, you just got you need some big dude that uh, got some simpleton because you got the idea that you may might want Bran to warg into him, and then you get him north and he's doing the stuff with the three eyed raven. You think, oh, but what if he warged into pa-? like what could? I, I mean, that's I guess how you would garden your way into it. How would has his name play? Because into Hodor it? just like, need to be a simple guy who you wouldn't have to write dialogue for that could care could essentially be Bran's horse. Right, and from there you start thinking about why did he get that way, and Bran's going to go back in the past, and I, I can see it, but it's one of the things where, like, God, you know, it's impressive. How how do you account for the creative spark mm-hmm. in anyone that creates some really truly world building piece of genre fiction? I don't know. Uh, it's pretty incredible, and that's why. You know, as much as I'm disappointed that he can't increase his output, there's just a lot of things that are just fucking yeah. tasty. It's true. In in the underpinnings of this this world and its lore, uh, that you got to give it up to the germ. Ginny says, "I wanted to take a note of the High Sparrow telling King Tommen that when he joined the Faith, he became so enlightened that he left without putting on his shoes. And season five, when he first meets Cersei, he tells her that he gave them away to someone that needed them more. One or both is an obvious lie, which I think totally points out his true character and intentions." 
what do you make of i mean we i don't think i don't think you've he's come above to the lying. right you've come to the right shop to preach the gospel of the high sparrow being a fucking asshole right because we are this high sparrow sure we are all too ready to but we kind of even as little as the last as as little a time ago as last week man i'm having a hard time talking today more so than usual we recently. talked about what recently we talked <laughs> about debated whether he's a true believer to what extent yeah. to this kind of seems like he's ready to fit whatever story that he needs to whoever. Well, I think we both came down on the cynical side of that, right? Where yeah. we don't think this guy is this as is, altruistic as he says. This is evidence. He's he's fudging his origin story. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Barry C said final few moments with Hodor at the door. Was it strip mining of the past or do you think that Gurm had that planned all along? Plus, was it in the books? Taste that dry pie. Taste it. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I can't say whether it is in the books or not because this is yet another instance in the show where we're way past the books. Right. So we were in the middle. The last the, the, the last we left the books, Bran was in the middle of his training and we didn't get any of the stuff at the Tower of Joy with Ned. We didn't get any of the Hodor becoming Hodor. Uh, so, like, we're and, we're way past that now. And here's the thing. Like, Breaking Bad is one of my favorite all-time shows. Sure. Maybe my most favorite. Uh, I I have immense respect for both of those styles of storytelling, the architect and the gardener. I think strip mining the past is just as valuable and just as interesting to me yeah. as creating, like, having a master plan and enacting it. We should probably explain that, because we don't do that very often. We we take for granted that everyone's listening to all of our podcasts. But that's something we came up with watching Breaking Bad, because there's a lot of things when people go back and watch Season 2 and Season 3 that their things become significant in Season 5 and Season 6, and people are like, ah, Vince... Vince they had a plan Vince, all along. Vince they... Gilligan, the showrunner of Breaking Bad, he's such a fucking genius. When in reality, these people pay attention to their own show, and they see an opportunity to take that from the past and make it significant like oh yeah. this happened in season two which means in season four we can do this that's not nearly as impressive but it's still cool and we call that instead of foreshadowing strip mining the past to make the present more significant and i also think that even martin would say that i'm not strictly a gardener like it wouldn't surprise me if he didn't start with a whole bunch of story kernels yeah and and maybe one of them was the origin story of hodor and then things grew around that because even a gardener has to plant seeds Sure. So it's very rarely that someone's all a gardener or all an architect. So I think maybe the Hodor is a little bit of an architected thing. But who knows? Until until he tell, has, writes his tell-all after he gets done <laughs> writing the rest of his books, we'll never know. Yeah. Uh, let's say here. Uh, Tara, or no, I'm sorry, Tori H. says, It's safe to say with winter officially coming or has arrived since the White Walkers and White seem to be moving at record speed. I thought it's also interesting that due to the brand's selfish move with the Night King, Summer dies. I took this as symbolic that Summer is over, Winter has definitively arrived, mm -hmm. and this is what Gurm had in mind all along in the beginning of the book series when he named the Direwolves. That is some next-level planning. Uh, yeah, no, do you have any... I mean, that's, no, that that's seems a self-evident point. Uh, yeah, I did see some, some analysis of the names of the Direwolves on right. Reddit uh, recently in, in light of this new information, and... You know, that was what they pointed out as well. She continues, now that we have only two dire wolves that have not been killed on screen, unless you want to continue clinging to the hope that Shaggy Shaggy Dog is an imposter head. Yeah. It's a prop head. Uh, we still have Ghost and Nymeria, wondering if they will come into play symbolically as well. Perhaps Ghost being the Ghost of Winterfell or the Starks for show purposes. Am I stretching? 
Well, the I theme, don't know. The theme I, for Ghost was that, that every all of the children name their wolves after kind of their own traits and such. And John is essentially a ghost, right? He's come back from the dead. He's, yes. So he named his direwolf Ghost. And Amiri is interesting because she is one of the the princesses that came from the east and conquered the south of. Um, uh, the, the conquered the south of Westeros and founded more or less the Kingdom of Dorne. Now, I might not have the details completely right, yeah. but that's kind of her thing. She's a warrior princess. And that very much reflects Arya. It, reflects, it does reflect Arya, but I don't know. Does that mean that despite all odds, Arya, who is currently no one, will be will, will sit the Iron Throne or be some, some type of royalty? I don't know if I'd go that far, but it, it reflects a spirit, certainly, okay. within Arya. Uh, and I think, well, you know, and you know. also if like if John was to be the king, if it turns out that he somehow is the prince that's promised and he conquers all of Westeros, does yeah. that make her is, is a sister of a a sister of a king a princess? Isn't it? I think so. Yeah. I mean, Queen Elizabeth's husband is a prince, mm-hmm. not the king, as you might be ignorantly expect such as as me until i looked it all up but sure. yeah so I, I guess anyone that's at that level she's a duchess or a princess or something hmm. so I, I don't know maybe that that will uh foreshadow some stuff there uh chris b says with the big reveal of the origin of the white walkers it got me thinking about the nature of winter on planetos wherein that the children of the forest created the white walkers as weapons of war we also saw the location of the ceremonial plunging of the dragon glass in the heart of the first white walker was a weirwood and a lush field of tall grass and oh you got served a piece of dry pie chris uh we i think we talked about that it's essentially that the white the children inadvertently created winter along with the white walkers i hate the name planetos can can i just get that out Why? there it's cute it's you got essos and Is westeros it... They're on Planetos. Is it a name that George R. R. Martin has given to this world, or is it a fan name so. for this world? Well, you know, people like they've self. Our fans have called themselves uh-huh. the Baldies, which we don't necessarily like, but we also yeah. don't have anything better. Right. So I, I don't. Why do you hate it? It's just literally adding OS to Planet. I know, and that's what bothers me about it. Like, give the fucking thing a name. Essos and Westeros. The continent don't... to the west is called Westeros. The continent to the east is called but, Essos. But they're like, not called not Continentos. A... <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> so you've been to the Citadel. You've taken Westerosi geography. <laughs> the, the, the Iron Continentos is called, canonical. Called uh, Ironos, Islandos, and, and they don't call it the canon. They call it the Canonos. They call them Sordoses? Ironically, like, SpaghettiOs are just called spaghetti. Oh, and what? This, yeah, it's just one of those surprising. things. Yeah, 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 it's one of those things. Uh, all right, let's move on. Pascal C. Which is it? Is it Pascal or C? You're, you're confusing me here. Uh, good, hey guys, good programmer joke. I appreciate it. Thank that. you. There's like 5% of people snickering right yep. now. Uh, going to put my tinfoil hat on for a minute and wanting to hear your thoughts about Arya's storyline. Uh Two episodes ago, we heard Cersei demand Kyburn to use his little birds to help find anyone defaming the queen. We know Varys' birds have access to Bravos. What if his birds found out about his play and how he's defaming Cersei? And oh my god, another slice of dry pie huh. being served up. Okay. But uh, I, uh, I I gave you credit for that. Also, he had the one wrinkle. I bring this up because Arya asked Jacken this week who paid him, and Jacken avoided answering. This could lead Arya to maybe leaving the Faceless Men because she would be essentially working for one of the people on her list. Um, so my question, I guess, is that we didn't really debate adequately is did Arya is, is this going to be the straw that breaks her back 
with the her allegiance to the faceless men. I really don't see that. I mean, why would she be so inquisitive that she just couldn't hang with the idea of not knowing? I mean, she's a Stark. Does, has, have, has, can she kill a person that doesn't merit it? Like all the people on her list are things are, are shits. They're people that probably deserve death. I mean, I guess you just have to ask yourself how much does she believe that in the the ethos of these people of the faceless men? Because well, and that's the like, iron is she price really warrants it, right? Or not the iron price the uh, the the price that they paid yes to have this person killed is is what warrants their death. It's not a question of do they deserve it or not. Hmm. It's a question of how much does she believe in that, and I. I guess I'm not totally on board with the idea that she she believes it to the point where she'd kill an innocent person, but I don't I don't know. It's don't hard know. to tell because we don't know what like it could be that that she has a moment of doubt and then she sees this lady do something that's right, like terribly terrible. Guy. Yeah, she sure. could be molesting five year old boys, or it could be or bathing in their blood to stay young. Who knows? Uh-huh. Or it could be that she sees that no, she truly is good, and she's like donates to the poor, does something like that, or it could be something where Arya kills her and then finds out she's a good person, or she kill she spares her because she's good, gets kicked out, and then finds she's actually a shit. There's so many different ways this could go. Who the hell knows? Yeah. But it's possible. I mean, in I my mind, Arya doesn't stay at the Faceless Men and become no one forever. Yeah, me too. So there's going to be a breaking point at some point. I don't, I don't know when she's going to have. The Batman moment where he's like, "I'm not, I'm not, done, I'm, I'm not down with what you're trying to do here, and it's time to burn down your temple and make off." So, uh, let me ask you this: What do you think it means for Arya if she doesn't become a faceless person? If she washes out of this, I really don't. Do you know. think Jacken can actually let her go with all the knowledge that she has? Because that's always been her safety net since season two. Like all the time when she's spending kind of in t- training with the Hound, because the Hound is kind of telling showing her like the harder path of that you have to take and teaching her about like, you know, the nature of brutality and men and like good and evil. But she always okay. had the coin in her back pocket, right? Right. She doesn't have anything like that now. Well, I, so I'm it not c- approaching it from the angle of like, oh, Arya's going to be a fish out of oh, water. Where does she go? Yeah. I'm not not from that angle, but can Jack even let her go? Like what happens to faceless men who don't make it? Are they killed? Oh. Are they allowed to wander the earth with the knowledge of the know. faceless oh, men's God, powers? No. Oh, God, no. no right. No, no. So if she, you know, let's say she can't kill this woman and yeah. she watches out and this is just the final strike. There won't be another. Does she have to flee? Does she have to fight her way out of this? Like, yeah, go grab needle and run. Yeah, I think so. And that might be that she's pursued. I mean, I, the, the, it, right? I, yeah, I think this is probably like the and mafia she then with have steroids. To you just don't get out of use it. Use her proto skills to evade the faceless men. Yeah, and how do you do that? Right, they're everywhere, and I mean, they... we've, we've already determined that she is completely not. I mean, she's not the equal of any of these people no. in combat or cunning or not anything. close. So, I don't know. It's it's a little bit scary when you put it in that context for Arya. Yeah, but on the other hand, she's a survivor, and she's a Stark, and she right. has... Uh, oh, I, I don't think they're just going to immediately snap her neck. <laughs> no, I get it. Uh, but but I'm, I'm like you. I was like, I can't see how this little girl fights off this entire agency uh, uh, agency full of supernatural warrior assassins. Right. But if I squint, I can kind of see it. It seems like she'd need patronage with someone else. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, let's see here. Where have I lost? That was Pascal we were done. So uh, Josh B. 
I think that Jorah's grayscale and Danny's order to cure it is the key we've been waiting for. Hear me out. If there is anywhere in the world that a cure for grayscale, if there is anywhere in the world where there would be a cure for grayscale, where would it be? My guess would be at the Citadel. Who else do we know is heading to the Citadel? Samwell. I think Sam and Jorah will meet at the Citadel. Maybe Jorah is cured, maybe not. Either way, Jorah tells Sam about Danny, and Sam realizes he must go to her. Not only does Sam know John, who's gaining an army and has no love for King's Landing, but also Sam knows about the White Walkers. And come on, Danny is the only one who can stop them. Dragon Class kills the White Walkers. What about Dragon Flames? So this is a crucial alliance and information to get into Danny's hands, and without Jorah to Samwell, I don't see how it happens in less than two seasons. But why would Sam go to Danny? Well, if the prospect of saving John and the world doesn't do it for you, remember Master Amon's final words to Sam. And I don't remember if this happened in the show, but Ammon wanted nothing more than to go to Danny. So now Sam may pursue her as an enactment of Ammon's dying wish. I do know they mentioned this in the show because he was talking to Sam and he's like, it's a great tragedy to be a, tar- uh, a Targaryen alone in the world. And he's talking right. about his niece, I think, Danny. Yeah. And then John pops in through the door and interrupting their conversation. Um, sure. So, yes, that did happen in the show. What happens when Sam gets to Danny? Well, for one, he could tell her all he knows and pitch an alliance with the North and the White uh, uh, to organize for the White extermination. We've also got Tyrion, who can vouch for Jon Snow and Sam's relationship with Jon as he went to the Wall in Season 1. If further credentials are needed, Sam could mention his old buddy Aemon. Uh, they could all ride the Westeros on Asha or Euron ships. They go to North first, probably through the Iron Islands, and hook up with Jon, which gives Danny a northern foothold in Westeros. None of the geography matches up for that. Well, I guess if they went to the Citadel first, whatever. Uh, which is the perfect place to be to first quash the White Walkers and then turn south in a literal blaze of glory. Also, Jon and Danny both have a Red Woman now. Maybe a little conflict over which is the promised one. What do you think about the Citadel being a crucial nexus for Jorah to sail to find his cure for dragon skin? Uh, and yeah. also to kind of like tie all these loose threads together. Yeah, it's, I mean, that has been set up as the hub of all knowledge in Westeros. So I think logical first place to check is the Citadel. Okay. Now, whether Jorah has time to get over there or not, who knows? But uh, yeah, I, I like the way he connects the dots there. So. Okay. Yeah, I. It, they are dots and they're not all connected. There's some of them have got dashed lines there, but yeah. it's as plausible as anything. Sure. Uh, let's continue. Martin from Romania says A small plot hole I found difficult to overcome was Yar and Theon's escape. I've been watching Black Sails recently, and the books about adventures at sea have always been some of my favorites. Thus, an element that always springs to my attention is that you need a maximum or minimum of at least X Men to sail any boat. Um, so I kept looking at the Greyjohn's escape, wondering which two or three of the 50 ships were manned by Yara's men and can see none clearly departing. Later, I find out it's because they were all departing compactly. Yep. I call bullshit and declare that without any clear sailing knowledge, you probably need at least 10 good men to sail any of those ships. Right. I also found Euron to be a little overwhelming with cock jokes and all. Um, that's a real thing. You do need, you can't just one man these long ships. Absolutely not. So, on the other hand, we also know that Yara was super popular. Yeah. And that probably Theon had his fair share of followers, being the eldest male. So, is it possible that they made off of, like, a third of the Ironborn's best sailors? I think so. Because, like, I don't I know, mean, there's 100 be. ships here, but there was a lot. Like, 40, 50. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm i with the emailer. That felt wrong to me immediately off the bat. Uh, if you look at that scene, you can see a whole bunch of little boats, Um kind of rowing up to these massive ships. Yeah. They look to be filled with about 10, 12 people each. Yeah. So, yeah, you can see 
she must have had 200 people backing her, yeah. two, 300 people uh, on the low end. Yeah. And as I say, you can sail a ship with eight to 10 men, but you can't fight a ship. Oh, God, no. God help you if you come to a storm. You can't, like, work in shifts, so everyone's going to have to be essentially yeah. up all the time or awake when something needs to be done, which is, like, all the fucking time right? when you're sailing on a ship. So it ain't going to be fun, and, and you're not going to get anywhere probably fast, and you're not going to fight effectively. But I guess I guess we'll just have to see how many she made off with and how much. But I, it, it doesn't bother me that she was able to make off with a good amount of men, too, because they've established the fact that she was well-respected amongst especially the sailing community. Yeah, I guess... The pirate community, I should say. They, they didn't provide a, a very clear clear view of it, though. Yeah. Like, was was my biggest problem. I it's just, almost an editing challenge, because yeah. they wanted to clearly show this parallel story of Euron taking power and them making off in the night. And right. It, that's a cool stylistic choice, but it does leave you asking questions about the logistics. A bit. Yep. Jason in Fort Worth, Texas says, I wanted to respond to your discussion of Tyrion and Varys meeting with the Essos Red Priestess on the instant cast. You were concerned that they were making the same mistake that Cersei did to the High Sparrow, but I see it differently. The followers of the Lord of Light were already in Marine winning followers. Tyrion isn't giving her any new power that could be le- later leveraged against Danny. All he's doing is giving her a little direction on how to spread the good word about Danny. This makes it a stark contrast between Cersei's actions and the, with the High Sparrow. She well, empowered a faith militant okay. for her short-term gain, but it's ultimately much more of a loss than gain. Tyrion, likewise, is using a red priestess for Danny's gain without really giving anything up. Do you agree, Jim? I disagree. I think he is giving up the exact same thing Cersei did, which is legitimacy. I think by lending the state's voice to this person, to the, the faith here, you're, you're giving her all the power. I Yeah, I totally, I totally agree as well, because... It's not like the sparrows were waiting outside the city. These sparrows were an active force within King's Landing causing trouble, and Cersei decided to try to co-opt them mm-hmm. in exactly the same way that Tyrion's doing here. So it's not like she And you're you know, lending had, the official voice to it. I mean It's not like she had a Westeros next top sparrow competition and like, yeah, we need this, come on. Like she took a movement that was already there and, and did what she thought was a smart move. It's kind of disappointing to me that Tyrion was so gung-ho and Varys is the one. I I wish they were both more skeptical. The more they portray Varys and Tyrion in this city together, the more I view Varys as the guy who knows what's up and Tyrion as kind of a drunken buffoon. In some ways, I mean, they they did. But Tyrion made a lot of solid calls in in with meeting with the slavers. Well, I'm talking about in King's Landing without Varys' help. Are oh, you, absolutely. Are you suggesting that he was once sharp and now yeah, yeah. he's a drunken buffoon? Yeah, and a lot of people have, have said that. And I, yeah. I think it's the way they're portraying these two people specifically together. Varys is coming off as the more intelligent and the more thoughtful. Uh, whereas Tyrion is all cock jokes and uh, kind of not a lot of forethought in some ways. He did have the clutch play of the dragons, though. He did, and the slavers, I mean, I think that's all good stuff, yep. and, and it's it's smart, but he's making the other crucial mistakes that Varys is pointing out. Indeed. Mike from Rhode Island, are you ready to take time travel to its illogical conclusion? Bring it. Uh, when Jamie talks about killing the Mad King, he says what he was repeating is the same phrase over and over that he had been all day long, which was burn them all. What if... 
While viewing a past event involving the Mad King, the White Walkers attack similarly to how they did in the cave. Brandon somehow accidentally gives him a glimpse of the future, specifically the White Walkers, thus revealing that the phrase burn them all is actually in reference to the others. An alternate idea is that when the Blood Raven instead of Bran influenced the, the Mad King, he could have been doing so for some time and given him a glimpse of the White Walkers in the future. Mm-hmm. There's been speculation that maybe we'll get a scene of the death of the Mad King this season. What if Bran wargs into this event and sees the blood raving muttering in his ears like Theoden from the Lord of the Rings? If someone wargs into the past and then later on that person wargs into the same event in the past, will the first warg be visible to the second one? Do you think it's possible that they are permanently there in the time stream for other wargs to see? Uh, I can't answer this little second question. I mean, it's it's not wrong to speculate on that. But what do you think of the idea that the Mad King goes mad because Bran gets up in his head or the blood... The yeah, three-eyed think, raven gets in his, his his head and does some timey-wimey bullshit. It seems like that's where everybody's going. Um, they're they're saying you know madness and uh, some kind of mental illness are are products of time travel now. Um, yeah, there's no natural which, causes. Which and, you know everybody throw out your Prozac. It's just because you got a warg in your ear, <laughs> right? What you don't what you don't understand is that he's actually saying burn the mall. Oh right, and that he's like just trying to prevent the suburban the takeover spread, of sprawl. Yeah, the takeover of the suburbs. He's, he's wanting to build build urban density. And, right, he uh, gets it. He understands yeah. how people operate, but the, the yeah. malls. You know, he's not a fan. Uh, I the the idea of burn the malls as applying to the White Walkers and the Whites. That's kind of interesting. I can see that being plausible. Okay. So that's, and that's, it's funny because that's stuff that we've been talking about in like the spoiler thread, but now all the evidence is there that we can talk about openly here. Uh, JP Mason said, you mentioned the instant take. This could be the moment, this time jumping stuff where Game of Thrones jumps the shark. And I tend to agree. Sure, we sign up. In what reality do they jump the shark? Is it the past? Is it the present? Well, maybe they always jump the shark. They're just, they have to jump the shark too. Exactly. Uh, sure, we signed up for a world with ice zombies, dragons, and magic, but to introduce time travel at this stage is completely different and something I'm not too fond of. With that said, I think Game of Thrones is culturally significant enough that we could redefine the phase Jump the Shark. So from now on, can we point to a moment a show Hodord? Um, first of all, I want to say that there's a surprisingly large contingent minority of people that are just really fucking pissed about this time travel stuff. I get it. I understand it. I get it too. I And I, and I guess if... If it literally came from nowhere, but I feel like it all kind of log- logically tracks from Bran getting chucked out that window. That this has all been a long story that leads up to this, and that where that thus it doesn't feel forced to me. But I can't disagree from with people that say it feels forced to them. Yeah, and, and I I'm gonna give it some time and see where it goes. Uh, yeah, you know, maybe maybe it's always gonna go to a place where I hate it. But. Yeah. And we're we're well qualified to hate watch a TV show with you. Oh, if are it we comes ever. to that. Yeah. We've we've trained we've been training with the with with Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we got pretty good at it. So But it's been so far used sparingly. Yeah. This, this one instance. Yeah. Uh maybe twice, Tower of Joy. Yeah. Uh and and I'm still on board with it. They they could totally take it off the rails. Yes. But for now, I'm okay. I also say that if Game of Thrones does screw the pooch and it turn, and turns into a debacle, that I wouldn't go with Hodor. I'd say held the door. Like, boy, pfft, that show really held the door <laughs> when Spock put a carrot up Miss 
Mr. Kirk's butt. I don't know. I'm trying to think of mm. a show jumping the shark, and I can't think of one. Oh, yeah, that was season sh- three, episode four. Sure. That's yeah. why CBS really canceled it uh, back <laughs> in the day. No, I, I like held the door. If, if Game okay. of Thrones did, because we do. I like, jumped the shark. That happened. That's the happy days, man. Yeah, it's 50 years ago. Let's get over it already. Sure. Sure. Like, we need more up-to-date cultural references. Has, how many people... Raise your hand. How many people have seen Fozzie jump the fucking sharks? I haven't. I'm putting my hand down. You haven't? No, I haven't seen Fozzie jump... I said oh, Fozzie. How what? many people have seen Fozzie Bear? Walk on walk! That would actually save a show if you had Fozzie doing it, but the Fonzie, he can't recover. No, I, yeah. I like held the door. We'll see. We'll see if Game of Thrones ends up holding the door before the end of... In, in comes Carmen F said, Hey, what up guys? Tinfoil brand theory here. Any chance that he goes back in time, distracts himself from looking in the window. Therefore he doesn't get paralyzed. Aha, Carmen, that you would can't. subvert yeah. the time parrot. That would actually cause a time paradox because if he did that, he wouldn't get his ability to warg and thus he wouldn't be in a position to see himself in the window and say, yo brand lay low. Right. It has to be something that he, would have always done. Like, if he had just fallen out of that window, maybe, like, he could have gone back and pushed himself out the window. Yeah. (laughs) In a weird time loop. Now, if he influences Jamie Mm -hmm. to push him out the window, and that's something out of character that he wouldn't have done. With a carrot up his butt while he's With a carrot up his butt, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's something. But you can't have him do something that would prevent him from doing the things that put him in a position to do the thing that he's doing now. Right. So that's the that's a rule number one of non shitty time time travel stories. You can't create paradoxes unless you're doing it on purpose, and then you got to fucking address it. Uh, that would be funny if he did do that, and then the world gets consumed in winter. Like all the Starks live happily ever after until the White Walkers come and kill everyone. <laughs> you got to ask yourself what is what is Martin playing at? Yep. Who knows? Sean DM said, "Hey guys, so the children of the forest created the Night's Watch by stabbing them with dragon glass thousands of years ago." But if I understand the history of Westeros correctly, dragons didn't come to Westeros until a few hundred years before the timeline of the show when Aegon the Conqueror came over from Old Valeria. So, how did the children have the gla- dragon glass before there were dragons in Westeros? Is this a continuity error, or is dragon glass just plain old obsidian, but they call it dragon glass? Uh, that's where I lean. Yep. I think you can make actual dragon glass, because obsidian is just essentially a, a you know, lava. Melted rock. With yeah. adds, adds, has, has, I looked it up, has a high silicon, silica content, which is, hmm. that's how you make glass. So it's so just... Certain types of rock. Right. It's just a, it's, it's a, a type of melted rock. So I'm sure you could take that type of rock and apply dragon fire to it and turn it to obsidian. In fact, I think that's what's happened to a lot of the towers at uh, Harrenhal that right. they've become yeah. melted and glassy. Huh. So that's like actual dragon glass, dragon glass. Uh, does, maybe... nobody, does nobody talk about that? They talk about the context of like melt down the throne and do this thing. I feel they like don't all talk that's... about bust up Harrenhal and do this thing. Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure that someone suggested in a tinfoil podcast last okay. year that someone might turn to the Harrenhal to like, look, we have shit tons of dragon glass here. Gotcha. Um, but I, I mean, that's, I don't know. Like obsidian doesn't seem like it's that uncommon. Right. So it could just be that they, they use it. Also, a lot of people said, where the fuck did she get dragon glass? I uh, forgot to mention this. Uh, they, it was a plot point that when Sam met them, two ships passing in the night, he was coming uh, south through the wall, and they were going north of the wall, that he gave Mira the cash because he said, you might need it north of here. So he had that whole cache of dragon glass that they got from digging up the f- fist of the, f- the first men, and he gave that to them. So. Okay. There you go. Uh, Machete Betty 
says, love the podcast. For context, I was a fan of Lost. I'm a fan of Damon Lindelof, a fan of the Game of Thrones books and show, and a true fan of, true fan of Germ. I was listening to the latest spoiler cast, and I had this thought, and I hope it's not dry pie. In 2011, George R.R.M. in a profile with The New Yorker said, We watched Lost every week trying to figure it out. As if it got deeper and deeper, I kept saying, They better have something good in mind for the end. This better pay off. Mm -hmm. And then I felt so cheated when we got to the conclusion. Martin also cites the Lost ending as a type of mistake he fears making with his own show, saying, I want to give them something terrific. What if I fuck it up in the end? What if I do a Lost? Then they will come after me with pitchforks and torches. Talk about your your modern day uh, turns of phrase. Yeah, and so, um, somewhere I'm seeing like Damien Lindelof is reading a New Yorker, and there's just a single tear rolling yep. down his cheek. Damien. Also, when you call him Damien, Dam- <laughs> I mean that's just an insult to injury. It's all for you, Damien. Um, so here we are, waiting for the winds of winter. Is Germ realizing the difficulty of tying up loose ends for an epic story? Yeah. In scale and scope. Is he a victim of the self-fulfilling prophecy of fucking it up and pulling a lost? And does it matter now that the show and the books are on divergent paths? I'm getting frustrated with how a story ends, or I get being frustrated with how a story ends, but is it possible that Germ rather not complete the story versus having not a terrific ending? Another cautionary tale of people in glass houses. Well, like you've been speculating uh, all of this season, this could be his canary in the coal mine, right? He could... He could be doing this on purpose, delaying until the show is done so that he can test an ending. Uh, now, if you want to say he's not doing that, yeah, it could also be what she said, which is he's scared. He's real scared, and he doesn't want to fuck this up, so he's taking his time and making sure he feels satisfied with the ending, which seems more plausible. I And I can relate, because I've got like, a bit of a perfectionist streak, and I've started many a project that I get to like the 85% 90% complete and I'm like yeah. I don't think I can polish this to make it as cool as I thought and then I shelve it because right. if I leave it unfinished the promise of it always being fucking rad is still there if I finish it and fuck it up well then I finished it and I fucked it up yeah uh and Martin it's, it's, <laughs> it's Schrodinger's failure <laughs> like as as I fall as yeah as I follow Martin it seems like he's got a lot of the same kind of perfectionist procrastinating and and the hope though is if this show tells a pretty straight version of what he wants the book to be and it's kind of a smash hit and everybody's like awesome mm-hmm. i could see him just like or just just rolling up his sleeves and getting to work because then he kind of knows he somehow validated that i'm yeah. not going to fuck this up and he just has to follow the path it's but you the can one also he laid see out. because he always explained why it took so long for a Dance of Dragons and a Feast for Crows because well I got Danny and Mir, 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 Marine and she's got good reasons to stay and she'd be a shit heel if she leaves and I got her, like all these plots and they're on two different continents and oh my god I got to definitely maneuver them mm-hmm. so that it feels genuine and it's earned for when there are moments that I'm actually wanting to get to take place. Um, the problem I guess with that is that now that I see this time-traveling bowl of spaghetti, like, that's every bit of convoluted. Oh, it's worse. I can see a guy writing, like, oh, God. And sometimes this happens if you're a writer or creator, is, like, something is genuinely genuinely awesome, but you write it down and you modify it and you work on it, and then it starts not making sense in your own head. And it's, like, off. Whereas if you just tell that story, it would be fine, but you've gotten so up your ass about it. Hmm. I don't know. I feel sorry for the guy. 
He feels, I mean, it yeah, is, as no, much he as has he feels sorry task. for a multimillionaire, super famous guy who owns his own theater and goes to all the cons. And, and he's totally right to compare yeah. this to Lost. I mean, it sure. is just as much of a phenomenon at this yes. point as Lost ever was. You know, it doesn't if have, not more so. I mean, it doesn't have quite the amount of viewers, but I would say in pop culture status, yeah. Yeah. yeah, probably bigger than Lost. If you put Game uh, of Thrones on ABC, well, no, it's you couldn't have nudity and all that other stuff. Right, but like, yeah, right. But but he is really just kind of following in the footsteps of Lost here, and he has the potential to really fuck it up now that time travel's introduced. And he keeps doubling down, yeah. like it was bad enough yeah. when you just had all this geographic separation and all these weird. But now you introduce time travel, and yeah, nah, I I feel for the guy. I feel for the guy. Yeah, especially when. You know how how lost was like. Well, no, no, we swear it's not. It's not this. It's not this at the beginning when everyone had kind of figured out like episode three where the show was going, and they were saying no, it's not this, and then it turned out to be exactly that. Well, he kind of did that with Daenerys and the fire, right? Like, yeah. certainly fudge the truth a little bit on that. Yeah, and also so you can see him saying no, it's not that way. It's not that way, and then writing it that way and going like everybody going, well, fuck you. Yeah, and, you know, that's the other thing is that that's an instance where I don't know whether Martin lied or whether the Double Ds used a convenient way to streamline things. So That's we, fair. This is not all his work, I mean, that's all what, his doing at this point. If, if Game of Thrones is not a complete debacle, I'm really looking forward to reading the books because it's going to be just like I had fun spotting the differences between the books and the show. That became a fun game. I think it's going to be just yeah. as fun in, in the reverse. And also, like, you know, that they're... I always encourage people to read the fucking books because they are ultimately a much more richer, um, complex, human and political drama than the show is, which is saying a right. lot. Yeah. Uh, and to the, uh, to the pack... To the, to the, to the, I think the first three books are very easy to read. The, the next two, Feast and Dance, are harder because it gets so into these plots within plots and machinations and, and human drama that it, feel, it doesn't feel as exciting as some of the stuff that came before. But... Mm. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I this this season so far, five episodes in, has really exceeded my uh, pretty meager expectations for what we're going to get, and it feels a lot more confident in how it's striding ahead than I thought it would uh, before we started. That's all the feedback we got. Any other final thoughts? No, I think we're good. One thing I, I forgot to mention, I, I didn't include an email, and it's just now sprung in my mind, is we talked about how John is rocking the full on Ned Stark hair. Yeah, uh, people sent me in that like, now he's got the cloak, but his armor like it's he's essentially wearing a a Ned Stark uniform. Yeah, which that. John or or, or um, Rob Stark also wore when he became King of the North. Mm-hmm. So like John has essentially cloned himself as a as a Ned Reborn. Yeah, uh, which is pretty exciting. Only thing he doesn't have yet is the name, which I can't see being true for much longer. Yeah, I wonder if... I think Sansa's going to have to do some... I almost thought when I was watching this episode, I was almost waiting for Sansa to be like, why don't I just legitimize you? Right. I am... Or we rescue Rickon, and we make that his first act. He legitimizes you. I think it's coming. Yeah. Because I don't know if she has that power, but... I don't know. Whoever the Lord of Winterfell is surely has that power. Yeah. Um, And it would be pretty easy to talk 11-year-old into (laughs) legitimizing you and having you step down. Yep. It's the stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself, sign this document and stop hitting yourself method of diplomacy. Uh, that's all we got. Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. If you want to send in feedback, we also got the forums at forums at baldmove.com. 
Uh, if you'd like to discuss stuff there, we've got multiple threads on it all the time. Uh, we will be back Friday with another issue of the Spoiler Podcast, another episode, rather, where we do a deep dive based on what we can glean from the books and make predictions on the show's future and just in general do a deeper dive and have, have more fun. But you got to be either read up on the books or pretty pretty non-afraid of spoilers. You can't be a spoiler-phobe yeah. because we spoil the shit out of things. But Indeed. until then, we got another episode coming up. Um, speaking of spoilers, be careful out there because there's been some leaks on the episode that have been very accurate so far. Uh, something like the Latin, the next two episodes, uh, broad outlines have been leaked out. So oh. hmm. um, I know, like for me, I don't, I don't pay attention to leaks. Like I, if you, if people want to, that's fine. But if I only have to wait a week or two to see the full thing, I don't really want a cliff notes. Yeah. So uh, some people sent that stuff into me, and I kind of skimmed and, and and didn't pay much attention to it. But uh, right. I'm sure there's podcasts out there that do discuss that. But I'm selfish. I want to. I'll wait another 14 fucking days to get the full 3D in living color version of the episode. Sounds good. We will see you guys on uh, Friday or Sunday. Your choice. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. Bye-bye.